Welcome to the Televerse podcast from Pop Optic TV. P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. Comedy, reality, drama, genre, and what's in between. Covering anything that's interesting. Yes, geek out on television, so much to see. We still peak TV kills us all. Current, retro, upcoming TV talk every week. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Pop Optics TV podcast. This is Kate Kolsick, TV editor of popoptic.com, and I'm joined this week once again by the delightful and wonderful uh, from tv.com, uh, Mr. Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, welcome to the po- podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, I should say, friend of the show. <laughs> no, thank you for having me back. I'm very excited. We're going to be talking about a lot of fun TV this week, uh, and, and we have some delightful opinions on a few things. I know that we're going to have a couple. Uh, shows that we're butting heads on. At least that's what I'm anticipating, which I think will be a lot of fun. Right. I mean, I'm I'm hoping for a fist fight. Honestly, yeah. you'll win, but I'm hoping for a fist fight. <laughs> it'll it'll be entertaining. Uh, I'm just thinking of the Buffy, of uh, the Xander and Harmony like slap fight. That's like yeah. my my go to for that. Yeah. <laughs> if uh, listeners, if you could see the visual that I'm getting right now, <laughs> it's delightful. Um, but. But for me, I, I was going to ask, uh, and and I look forward to your thoughts on what the this week in TV has been for you, or what the the news has been, um, because for me, I've been uh, out of town at a gig, so I've been driving a bunch, which basically means I finally, three months behind or two months behind everybody else, uh, was like maybe I should check out Hamilton, right? I guess I could check that out, and I got about two songs into streaming it, and was just pissed off that I had to go right to my gig so I couldn't go buy it and own a copy. So I had to wait like three or four hours before I could because it's amazing, people. I do not throw this word around. I'm pretty sure it's a masterpiece. Uh, it is amazing and astonishing. And you have not yet heard any Hamilton. No, the extent of what I've heard from Hamilton, believe it or not, this is how out of touch I am with the world was the 60 Minutes segment that they did about the show a couple of weeks ago. That is how out of date I am. I only know Hamilton through 60 Minutes and my Twitter feed, (laughs) but really 60 Minutes. Because I'm old, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I had been looking forward to the show since Lin-Manuel Miranda first did the opening song to it back Mm -hmm. during Obama's first year in office at the White House. Uh, So... Which they talked about in the segment, actually, a lot. Yeah. And I have no idea why it took me this long because, you know, friends of the show, uh, of course, Elena and and, and Whitney and, and lots of people, Caroline, Sita, and, and lots of wonderful people whose opinions I respect and trust have been, like, losing their minds over it. And for some reason, I didn't translate that to it's really that good. I translated it to it's groundbreaking and new and different, but it's also so much more if you basically <laughs> listeners uh and it's just also it's made me annoyed at the good wife even more for not using its singers because did you know that the actress who plays Geneva Pine is one of the leads in Hamilton? I did know that actually. Yeah. And she kills it and is amazing yeah. and so now I'm like that's yet another person you aren't letting sing on your show <laughs> the good wife. <laughs> I just I need the all dancing, all singing musical review of The Good Wife is what I'm saying, basically. So that's what my pop culture life has been for this past week. Me just like being annoyed that I haven't memorized Hamilton yet. I've only like part of the way through memorizing it. Uh, what's the TV week or pop culture week been like for you, Noel? Um, pretty low key, basically. I mean, I was 
I, well, no one from my job is going to listen to this, so I worked from home all day Friday so I could watch as much of Jessica Jones as I could while I was working. Good times. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I worked and watched Jessica Jones for pretty much eight hours and then watched the remaining seven hours that night. <laughs> well, we will be talking about Jessica Jones this week on the podcast. That's, uh, in, in lieu of a DVD shelf, we'll be doing a season spotlight, and I feel like that's probably the best way to do it. Otherwise, we would have to try to, like, keep it spoiler free and be on different episodes and so we were just like let all we, of it let's just do it let's just yeah. mainline it and i probably uh should regret that given the work-life yeah. balance but i i i regret it kind of i want to like go back and rewatch it again so i can see stuff that i'm sure i missed in between working on things but we will have plenty of thoughts about Jessica Jones coming at the end of the show. Uh, and you also mentioned off-air the CW announced its mid-season schedule. And most exciting thing yep. to me is you said that, of course, uh, this is the first I was hearing of it, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend gets more scripts. So that's exciting. Not only do they, not only do they get more scripts, but they got more episodes. So, ah. like, iZombie and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend both got an order for five additional scripts back in October. But now those episodes have actually been ordered. So... Crazy Ex-Girlfriend will have 18 episodes. iZombie will have 19 episodes this season. Very exciting. Well, I, yeah. I'm looking forward to more of both of those shows. And we will be talking about at least one of those this week uh, later in the podcast. But let's get into let's get into our week in TV because we've got some, some fun shows coming up. And basically, I want to listen to more fun songs. So here, to lead us into our week in comedy, here is I Give Good Parent uh, from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. We'll be right back after this. Again, was uh, I Give Good Parent from this week's episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. More on that later. But first, in our week in comedy, we're going to kick things off with Noel talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine a bit, Ava. Uh, and then I'll talk a little bit about You're the Worst, a rap rapidly mutating virus, as well as last week's episode a bit as well. Uh, then we'll have some fresh off the boat, Huang's Giving, uh, Jane the Virgin, Chapter 28, and we'll round things out with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. My first Thanksgiving with Josh! Uh, but first up is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, and... And I unfortunately I have not gotten a chance to catch up with this one yet, but uh, this is Ava, and as I understand it, Marin Dungi Dungi Dungi, who I really enjoyed, of course, on Alias, and who plays uh, Mrs. Terry Crews on this show, <laughs> uh, takes center stage a bit here. Yeah, um, she ends up. Um, Terry has to go uh, to Rikers, I think, to like interrogate a prisoner to get some some stuff handled but it's like a really busy traffic day so of course while she's waiting for him at the at the station she goes into labor 
But so there's trying to get to her to like deal with her being in labor, but everything's like shut down at the same time. So like the computer system's down. So all the, all the paperwork has to be done by hand and then faxed and then use pneumatic tubes to be delivered to other places. So, I mean, there's all this craziness going on, but what the episode really excels at is the fact that Jake is the one who has to be responsible throughout the entire episode. Because turns out Mrs. Terry Crews doesn't care for Captain Holt, who's normally the authority figure, and Holt takes this really deeply personally and gets really passive-aggressive about it. And it's just really funny watching Jake, the least responsible and mature human being on the face of the planet, go, I have to run everything now. And it's just really fun to watch him be the one in charge. And that's, I think, why the episode was just really, really funny and hit on a lot of fun cylinders, is that Jake was in charge and had to organize all the cats of of the 99th Precinct. And it was a really, really funny episode with a lot of really good jokes and a surprise... I won't ruin the surprise uh, celebrity cameo that shows up as one of Holt's uh, ex-boyfriends for you so when you get around to the episode you'll have something you'll have a little treat but it's a really good little cameo nice looking forward to that i mean just i mean there are many delicious flavors of holt but passive aggressive holt is certainly one of the more special i would say the way andre brower puts a stick of gum into his mouth is just Oh, it's a thing of beauty, which is the <laughs> oddest thing you would ever expect someone to say about Andre Brower at this point. But him passively, aggressively putting a stick of gum into his mouth and slowly chewing it. Mm-hmm. It'll kill you. Very nice. When you're describing the episode, it just sounds that sounds like a really good premise for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But again, it just goes back to what the show does so well, which is that it has all these characters, but it's deriving its humor out of wacky premises like a common sitcom trope of the unfortunately timed labor but then yes. deriving you know the really letting the humor come out of the characters not yes. just the situations if it was just wacky yeah. situations we get very very tired of that but because it also threads these character t- you know elements in there as well yeah I'm saying things we already know and already agree on, so I think maybe I should move on. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. It's 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 why Brooklyn Nine-Nine's probably, I think, probably my favorite half-hour sitcom that I watch mm-hmm. pretty regularly that isn't animated at this point. So, yeah. 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 Well, I'm looking forward to, to catching up with that episode then. Uh, speaking of comedies, we should I should have mentioned this at the top, but um, uh, last week tonight had its finale. Uh, for the year, I don't know exactly how that works with seasons. If it's it's coming back in February, but I don't know if that means it's coming back with season three or if they were just they had a big you know end of year moment. Did you know that John Oliver founded a church? Yes, I did know uh, about the church thing. Yeah, a church of perpetual like giving or something like that. Yeah, yeah, to highlight uh churches that require their members to donate massive amounts of funds for the sake of holiness and that sort of thing yeah Yeah, so they brought that back uh for for a little bit at the end which was very nice and as well just kind of had a recap of the year and it just underlined for me how strong a year uh that that show really has had i mean just i just still go back to the snowden episode i think is still one of the best episodes of the year yeah i was actually about to say that exact same point was that snowden episode's incredible and like easily one of the top television moments of the year by far and that's saying something as like right. we're, we're approaching the listening as what i've been calling 
Yes, yes, we are. And so saying that something is one of the best uh, episodes or best moments of the year is meaningful, I would say, for both of us. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the tip of the cap to to uh, <laughs> last week tonight and and Janice from accounting, who doesn't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> we saw her in the flesh in this, uh, which was delightful. Uh, but I'll move on to my actual next episode rather than just a moment. And that's You're the Worst, a rap- rapidly mutating virus, uh, which continues this thread we've had with Gretchen and Jimmy, um, but more specifically with Gretchen and where she's at. And I just continue to be impressed by the show, the writing, the direction, and Ayakash's performance, and really just the the way that the show has completely committed to and embraced Gretchen's depression. I mean, this episode really, it's her trying desperately to feel anything. So she's snorting Coke and doing lines of Adderall and, and trying to like, she pulls a gun on somebody at one point to try to, um, disarm, like, like defuse an (laughs) escalating situation, uh, which is works. It, It actually does work. But then she says, you know, she's talking about it later. She says, I was bored. And even even that d- couldn't make me feel anything. So the way that the, the show is just really committing to how how lost she is and how in how much pain while also not being able to feel anything and just the murkiness and difficulty of that surrounded by also how it's affecting these other characters. Even Lindsay, um, who knows a bit of what to expect because she's been friends with Gretchen for longer than anybody else in her circle is seeing that this time it's different, which is interesting. But then watching how Jimmy deals or, you know, doesn't deal because uh, he doesn't understand this kind of thing is, has been very well handled, very well and respectfully played. And while I'm sure there are many people yelling at their TV at the end of the episode this week, um, I thought this show did a really good job of earning and completely justifying to the audience where Jimmy's coming from and how the characters get to where they're at at the end of the episode. So um, I'm really interested to see how the season ends up with you're the worst. Um, but wh- I don't know if we're going to get a third season of the show. Do you know if it's been renewed? Cause it just, it's got terrible ratings. Yeah. I have, if I've seen something, I've just, Blocked I'm not remembering it at all. Um, but I think FXX is also in a position where they can't necessarily cancel their one big critical darling at this point, really. Mm-hmm. And I think that might buy it. And, I mean, Landgraf's notorious for his long leashes on things. Bastard Executioner being the kind of the exception that proves the rule almost at this point. We're getting another season of The Americans, so hey. Thank you, Landgraf. <laughs> that's, that's about all you can ask for, considering that The Americans' ratings are also just really dismal. Yeah. But um, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how they end uh, wind up the season, and um, it's just again fantastic storytelling, really impressive, and the way the show again the way the show is committed to this storyline in a way that I've never seen a TV show commit to a storyline like this, let alone a, a comedy air quotes commit to this is is incredibly impressive, and the fact that it's also engaging, interesting, and at times very funny TV while doing so is particularly uh, noteworthy. So. Still very happy with You're the Worst. But let's move on to something we can both talk about, which this week is uh, Fresh Off the Boat, Huang's Giving. And uh, how did you feel about our follow-up to, you know, this feels like part two with what we got last year. How, how, how did this episode work for you? I think I actually liked it better than um, the first 
first one a lot um just because i think the central conflict between um between jessica and her sister was a little more we had a we had a bit more grounding for it this time around and i like the fact that jessica's sister's husband whose name i can't remember um was like on the outs with them so it added a nice level of tension to everything and i also always like it when siblings fight on thanksgiving to impress their parents by cooking the best meal and then everything just goes horribly awry it's again one of those things where we talked about where you mentioned with brooklyn 99 where the situation is well worn and trodden but then you put it in the hands of a really good cast with some really sharp writing and it just sings like you haven't seen it before and i think that's what was happening here i mean i can listen to evan and emery discuss thanksgiving place settings for the rest for the rest of my life i mean this acorn adds a rustic, rustic touch yeah you know what else adds a rustic quality to this the squirrel that peed on it get it off my table it's just like yes this is fantastic <laughs> what did you what did you think about how did you feel about the episode yeah i was actually about to reference the exact same moment with the acorn which was delightful uh and and i just love that they're that they pretty much just off in their own show most of the yes. time but that feels so appropriate for, you know, like, I've got three siblings, and a lot of, sometimes pa- the parents are busy doing their own thing, sometimes they're busy with helping out one kid or, or worrying about this or that, and so when you've got at least, you know, three, four kids, you know, I have I had friends growing up who had five or six kids in their family, um, there's just certain times where you're just off in your own little world, and they're like, are they... There's no blood over there, right? They're not gluing themselves to anything. Okay, they'll be fine. And so, like, I, I, I really enjoy the way that the show does that. It feels appropriate, I guess, to me. Um, and they make good use of that. And they made fodder out of it, like, a week or two ago when Emery and Evan were trying to get in trouble and get noticed. And they whatever they did just didn't work. And it took them being out of bed past their bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, this is great. But, I mean, it calls attention to the fact that they kind of do operate on their own. But it still feels as part of a whole because of how that cast and how the show conceives that part of the family. Yeah. That it feels all part of a whole of one another. Well, yeah, and they, I mean, even just, so it all feels like a whole, but they sort of have their own tone, too. That's, yeah. That's very different. And that's, and it, you know, you can feel that they are more connected uh, as brothers than they are with Eddie. Um, and this one, that just happens. Uh, so, you know, I thought that I, I enjoy, I enjoy that again. I'm overanalyzing like, you know, you no. know, I love to do, uh, I don't think you're overanalyzing this at all. I think you're really spot on with it. Um, and the, uh, you know, I always enjoy the back and forth with, with, with Connie and with Jessica when that comes up on the show, <laughs> having the split screen, the, the decision from the mother, delightful the subtitles yes yeah, so good um and yeah it, you know i don't know if i liked it more than the, the previous one i think there's some stuff they uh maybe could have followed up on a bit more uh friends of the show paul gobel and david Vax talked about this episode on their podcast this week and they brought up why have why have lewis get hung over and then and like like drink a bunch and then never pay that off he doesn't actually act over for the rest of the episode um so if he wasn't actually that you know like there's some couple things there that maybe whatever but i still had a lot of fun with it i think he's he's in pretty rough shape for most of that episode even after like 
He's kind of hungover. He does kind of bounce back, but then he's just completely out of it after he gets bonked in the head with a football. That's true. That's true. I didn't and think I mean, that could, you know, relate. That kind of has to play into it because, I mean, it, that football can't have been thrown that hard. <laughs> and then he's got this massive bandage on and he's not able to verbalize anything. Touche. I, mean, I might have to. Oh, no, I might have to rewatch. Now, how would you place this next to other uh, fantastic Thanksgiving episodes? Because, I mean, of course, the, for me, the 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 you know brass ring that you reach for you should try to be as good as a bob's burgers uh thanksgiving episode so is this up there with that this year yes because i wasn't like in love with this year's bob's burgers thanksgiving episode Mm -hmm. which had uh linda's sister and i'm never had gail and i'm never a big gail fan yeah so this 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 year's thanks Bob's Burgers Thanksgiving episode wasn't that great for me. So this was probably my favorite, but I still haven't watched the Middles Thanksgiving episode yet, and their Thanksgiving episodes are always great. Yes, I hear I so. hear very good things about that one. I have not watched it yet either. This is a, this is a conversation for another time. I just I think I don't get the middle the episodes that I've watched of the middle. I haven't thought were good. Like not even <sighs> like I've only watched a handful, so I could have just sampled unfortunately Poorly. yeah that's possible yeah but like, there are a lot of episodes that show's been on forever yeah and theoretically i should love it i i love the concept and the idea and the cast mm-hmm. and like the priorities of the show these are all things that i really love yeah. but when i've watched it i've just been like and when am i gonna laugh um okay. so so i don't know maybe that's you know let's put a pin in that for for a future conversation <laughs> at some point but um Anyways, let me know, listeners, if it's just me. Uh, but any any final thoughts on, on this episode? Or should we move on to, to Jane, which also had a bit of a Thanksgiving theme? Let's move on to Jane. We had Chapter 28 this week, and uh, this is their Thanksgiving episode, I guess. And then next week, they're going to do a Black Friday episode. But um, uh, having, you know, involving Petra a bit more, I like some of that stuff. And um, the fallout, the, I mean, the real big thing here is the, the fallout from uh, fr- from Jane's decision with Michael and, and, you know, moving, I think it was a very smart idea to move the timeline forward the way that they do. I think, I think the show needed to do that. So we'll see what happens. I just, I, I, I kind of, it's like Raph is almost being creepy at this point. And, and what, in what way is he being creepy? Well, he's just kind of, cause he keeps like, she's, I guess maybe now she's, because he's been just kind of waiting around being like, I want to get together with you. We want to be together. And she's like, I can't, I'm not ready, I'm not, like, I'm not a good place. For months. For months! And, like, at a certain point, he's just kind of, he's, like, standing and waiting around for her to care as much about him as, as she as he does about her. And at what point does that become creepy? And one point, like, it's, I think it's still sweet, but it's, for me, it's very close to being creepy. I don't know. What do you think about all this? I'm not sure it necessarily comes off as creepy. I mean, it's it's just a refusal to move on. It's pining. I mean, creepy to me is like stalking her in some way after she said, leave me alone, which she can't really do. I mean, they're like trying to co-parent with Mateo. <laughs> so I think that that's something it doesn't, it never really reads as creepy. It reads as just a little sad, mm-hmm. not in, not in a pathetic way, just in a lovelorn, lonely hearts 
I see this woman every day and yet I can't be with her basically sort of way. Mm -hmm. So I never really read it as creepy per se. Yeah. I think I might be responding to how frequently he brings up the let's be a family thing, which I get. I totally get, but it feels very manipulating, uh, manipulative and controlling where it's like, well, I'm your baby daddy. So if you really love your kid, you'll get with me, which I, I don't think he's trying to do that. I think he he also is uh, really committed to this, like this ideal of family, this idea of them as the perfect nuclear family. Well, uh, yeah, because he he didn't have that, so he's like yeah. desperate to have that. It's one of his central motivations in wanting to make this work is that he wants that family unit that he just never really had. And I think that would be interesting if the show. I mean, they have done this a bit in the past, but I'd like to see them like. Those two had that conversation about that. How neither one of them had that, and and it it seems like maybe just because you know she's got such an awesome mom and grandmother, but Jane is is she wants that idea for her son too, but she is not as desperate to have it as as it seems like Raph is at this point. Anyways, this is not the most interesting part of the episode. This is I'm getting distracted with this with this idea. Side plot. <laughs> what did you think about? Let's talk about Petra a bit because that was another one of the things of this episode that I really liked. I like when they are able to move Petra into a more relatable and more sane kind of portion of the show, uh, which yeah. they do every time they let her and Jane connect. Yes. No. Absolutely. Actually, I a friend of mine just started watching the show yesterday on Netflix, and she's about eight or nine episodes in, <clears throat> and I was just like. She was talking a little bit about Petra, and I was just like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. It's okay. She starts getting better, basically, in terms of how she relates to everyone else on the show, even though she's still Petra. But she still has that same type of seeking out a family unit that works for her, and that's what she's really desperate for. And I think what's happening within the span of this three-month episode, which structurally I was kind of unsure about, but then it just really kind of clicked into place for me towards the end. And so I think that that's what we saw, was her coming to that realization about what she needed to do to make sure that her life was going to work out the way she wanted it to work out, which involved making sure Raphael was involved, being nice to Jane... And getting along with Jane, basically, and having that kind of connection because she's realizing that she's just too isolated, I think, from a life that she wants. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing play out in Chapter 28 with her. Yeah, she she needs friends, and she doesn't get Mm -hmm. to have friends because she's a supporting character. Um, There's not enough time. I mean, Jane barely gets to have friends. That was one of the... Yeah, I was going to say, Jane doesn't really have friends. They pop up for one episode and then disappear. Yeah. So so that's and I think that's really hampered her as a character. Like something like Louisa, it feels like she has an external life. Uh when we see her, we're seeing, you know, part of her connection with, with Raph and with, with these other people, but I I get the sense that she's off with Juicy and she's doing other things when the camera's not on her. With Petra, I don't know what she's doing when she's not on camera. It's like vague hotel stuff. You know, like I have trouble imagining yeah her life outside of how we see her on the show. And, uh, and, and that's, that's really too bad. Cause I think when they do give her stuff, the actress delivers, um, how, how do you feel about her mom now having a hook and an eye patch? Uh, I, it feels like I a just, little too much for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine, I guess. I mean, at, at this point after 30 rock, I'm not really sure if hook hand humor can go much further mm-hmm. because 
30 Rock just kind of covered it. And there aren't too many more hook hand jokes you can make at this point. So I'm, I'm okay with it. I do want more, uh, Locos Hombres. (laughs) Um, Rogelio's Mad Men parody slash that's not a parody that already has a cease and desist order from Matthew Weiner, who Rogelio doesn't know who he is. I want more of that. <laughs> yeah, I just love with the, Don Juan Draper. Him in the the purple suit with the uh, like the the whiskey or whatever. Oh my god, that was delightful. Very good. Um, that's a fun way to take. I, like, the the show ending out of nowhere was like very strange. Weird. Yeah, it was right? a little weird for me. Yeah, yeah, it was a little weird. Yeah, but them coming up with new things, I think, is is good and, yeah. and more interesting. Um, what about? Uh, any other thoughts on that, or what about Michael? What did Michael do in this episode? I've already forgotten. <laughs> he, he went off. He, he went, went Did he, he have had, his road trip? Yeah, he had called Nadine. Right. And he's, like, on the track. Isn't he trying to track uh, Sunrostro? Yes, or, like, get in touch with her through Nadine. Yeah. I kinda lost, I've lost the thread with Michael just a little bit, at least when it comes to, like, the cop stuff. Yeah. When he's dealing with Jane, I'm, like, firmly interested and invested in what's happening with him. But I have virtually no idea what's happening with the cop stuff, apart from the Louisiana cop partner who's joined him. And I'm just like, okay, show whatever you need to do to get through this, I guess. (laughs) What do you think of uh, Jane's new buddy from, from grad school who's secretly evil? Oh, yeah, no, that's such a really delicious soap opera telenovela type of idea that I just kind of love it. Mm -hmm. And I like how they're trying to make him very (sighs) kind of Truman Capote-esque almost in terms of he's digging for this dirt that he wants to turn in to make his big thing as if he's doing some sort of cold blood research in cold blood research, Mm -hmm. but with the, with the Solanos, which I really find really amusing, but no, I'm also, I'm, but I'm also sad because Jane should have some friends in graduate school because it's the only way to get through graduate school. (laughs) (laughs) I I just love the, the montage of, um, of them being like, you never share anything. And they'll be like, oh, you want to share? I can, I can yeah, share. Yeah, and that group just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, very effective. Well, any other uh, thoughts about, about Jane? How, how how do you feel like they're handling the transition to baby? I think they're doing really well. Um, I was a little worried about it because, I mean, babies have a tendency to kill shows. Um, but I think they've, they've integrated, they've made Mateo both, like, a larger plot point for a lot of like certain things that are going on in Jane's life, but it doesn't feel artificial or forced in any way. I mean, these are issues that she would be dealing with is when she can pump breast milk, when she can write, when she can do anything basically and still have Mateo around. And then that weird kind of guilt that has doing these sorts of things like writing, going to school, but not paying enough attention to him that he ends up needing to wear a helmet to offset the flathead stuff that's happening to him. And I mean, that's the kind of thing that Jane would really freak out about and does freak out about. And she's trying to balance it all. And I think it's really interesting how the show presents ways for the family unit to help her balance things while still achieving what she wants to achieve. And I think that's really great. Yeah. They've, uh, They've not backed away from Mateo as a beautiful part of her life 
and yeah. a part of her life that forces her to make choices. And yeah. and that there's sometimes it's not good or bad choices. It's just choices that take you. Each choice takes you down a slightly different path. And so they they've they've done a good job with that so far. Um, flash forward, uh, Mateo at the UN. Adorable. <laughs> yes, I actually loved all the little Mateo dream sequences at the UN. Making it rain in his mm-hmm. little car in the hotel was just really funny as well. Um, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because those were two bits that I just really, really liked a lot. Yeah, and just con- confirming a certain amount of wealthy—not vaguely wealthy, but just like no, like filthy stinking rich. Specific, yeah, really specific amount of wealthy. Yeah, so uh, to the point where honestly, it feels like that's gonna get. He's going to lose all his money. Like some like they, to give it a specific number, I think is good. It's, I think the specificity helps the show, but it also has me a little like there's a little bit of a flag there. It's like, are we going to see them get extorted for forty million dollars, for example, or something? We'll see. Which I would kind of be okay with. To, yeah. I mean that that idea of the specificity you raise a really good point with that, and I mean that again creates another conflict and another choice that they have to make, and whatever happens here. I mean, it's just. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, show. We like you. <laughs> How yes. do you feel about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? My first Thanksgiving with Josh. Um, the, I really, really liked this episode a lot, actually. Um, you use the uh, I Give Good Parent to set, bring us into this segment. And I really, really liked that number a whole lot. Um, an excellent use of the woman who plays Josh's mom, who's just one of those character actresses that has been around forever. And she just really leans into that whole gangster type of mentality that they give her for that song. But I also think this is one of the first episodes where the episode didn't really sag a whole lot for me. Because the show has these weird kind of lulls where things just run in place for a little while. And I felt like this episode didn't have any of that. And I really, really liked that. And I really liked um, how... Hang on. Um, Paula uh, just followed along on her iPhone through the brooch, which yes. I just thought was really fun, but also like gave us uh, an audience surrogate type of instrument to that, which was also just really, really fun. Um, but yeah, no, it was really fun. I enjoyed I Give Good Parent because I am someone who gives good parent as mm-hmm. well. And so I, I really responded to that particular <laughs> um, <laughs> um How did you feel about the episode? What did you think? Um, I liked it. I thought it was solid. Um, this was another one that was, again, a episode with songs and not a musical. Yes. But it was good. I enjoyed the songs. The um, the, the Piano Man ripoff was a bit too much of a ripoff for me to really yes. enjoy yeah. it. I agree. Which is unfortunate. That's a, like, it feels like a waste. Like, there's... There's a good song there, um, but when they go so distinct in their reference and their parody, um, it it kind of steals, it kind of robs from it a bit yeah. too much. Uh, yeah, and, and I agree. And because you don't have like like in um, "Settle for Me," they're clearly paying homage to that uh, friend Ginger aesthetic. Yeah, but they're also they're not like. Lift unless there are references that I'm missing, which is possible. I mean, I've seen all the Fred and Gingers a bunch, but um. I could be that I'm missing a distinct song they're referencing, but they're not lifting direct lines. They're not lifting direct instrumentations. And they're also using that cultural touch point to comment on the characters and their gender dynamics. And that's not something that's happening at all with piano. Man. It's just like, you know, this song about a sad guy playing a piano. This is also, it's the same. 
it's the same thing. Um, so that was a little underwhelming, but the rest of it I thought worked. I liked the the end. I like this idea that Paula is so invested in in the Josh thing. She's so invested and so invested. And she's like, no, she can't be happy for for um, for for Rachel having this lovely not date but total date with Greg. Uh, right. Because she's just so invested in what she's done, what this vague um, amount of things that she has done to, to to make this Josh thing happen with with the mom at least, uh, uh, yeah, that's a fun dynamic to throw in, and, and using the brooch for that I thought was nice. Mm-hmm. And it was really funny because by the end of the episode, I kind of forgotten about the brooch entirely. Oh yeah. So yeah. the little tag with it at the end, with her looking at it and screaming no, I was just like. It's a really good cap to this episode. And the show doesn't really nece- hasn't really necessarily had really strong caps sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really solid way to like wrap this up. And it was a really good last little visual joke. And you, like you said, we got to see how happy she is mm-hmm. having this not date date with tequila and tacos while watching documentaries about lonely whales. Yeah, picking up, you know, from and I, I love that it's tacos. It's you know with the taco festival, kind of picking up where their their other date could have, like the kind of relaxed atmosphere they could have had on their other date, but without all the the tension and and fraught because it's not a date. Like again, I think yeah. they're they're doing a very good job with that, and I think the show. I think the show works a much much better when it's more of an ensemble piece. And so having, you know, giving Greg more backstory and, you know, the more they flesh out Paula, the more they flesh out, uh, you know, the Valencia's relationship with Josh's parents and all that, like the more rounded the show becomes, the more interesting and, and developed yeah. it, it becomes. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to to getting more and, and like explaining why somebody who is as affable and and charming, uh, but also smart as Greg is still there. Uh, we know why yeah. Josh is still there because he doesn't aspire to more, but why is Greg still there? That's a good reason. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I think that's been like one of the big problems, not problems, but dangling issues with the show is why is Greg here? And not only why is Greg here, but why is Greg even interested in her as a person at this point? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the show kind of repaired answered and repaired that issue a little bit and furthers it again here so i mean it's on a road to recovery type of thing but i just i'm ready for more from him and why he's still sticking around yeah i would agree with that um so any any other thoughts uh on crazy ex-girlfriend or if not what wins your week in comedy um i'm gonna go with brooklyn 99 i think for my weekend wins my week in comedy this week um really solid really funny and just passive aggressive passive aggressive gum chewing (laughs) can't do better than that nice i will give it to i think i'm gonna give it to you're the worst again didn't laugh a lot but i continue (laughs) to be so impressed by what they're doing and um uh and there's there's still some fun and funny stuff in there but uh but I just again, nobody else is doing anything like it. So, so tip of the cap to to you're the worst. Uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama and genre. Let's go in the garden. You'll find something waiting right there where you left it, lying upside down. When you finally find it, you'll see how it's faded. The underside is lighter when you turn it around. Everything stays right where you left it. Everything stays, but it's still changing. 
that was one of the songs featured in this week's uh, Adventure Time Stakes miniseries. Uh, lots of, I mean, always enjoy Adventure Time's musical numbers. Uh, but we will not be starting with Adventure Time this week for our week in drama and genre. I'm going to kick things off with a little Doctor Who talk. How could I not after what happened? Uh, then we'll talk Adventure Time Stakes. Marceline the Vampire Queen, Everything Stays, Vamps About, The Empress Eyes, May I Come In, Take Her Back, Checkmate, and The Dark Cloud. I will read that once more when we get to Adventure Time and not again. Uh, then we'll talk a little Supergirl, Livewire, Arrow, Brotherhood, Limitless, Headquarters, uh, Elementary, Tag, Your Me, Manhattan, 33, and we'll round things out with Fargo, Rhinoceros. But first up, Doctor Who. Um, if you do not watch Doctor Who, or actually, if you don't watch Doctor Who, you probably don't care. If you do watch Doctor Who and you're behind... Uh, spoiler alert, I will be talking about significant spoilers from this episode that you will not want to know about, so you have been warned. Look in the show notes. There will be a timestamp so you can skip ahead to Adventure Time. Again, you have been warned. So, uh, Noel, are you... Do you mind being spoiled? I already know what happened. Okay, so, you yeah, know what happened. So and I don't, I, I don't... I don't watch the show anymore, like I think I mentioned last time I was on, and I don't yeah. care what okay. happens so no you're fine okay dive right in i want to hear what you said about it because i saw i saw a lot of people on my feed not particularly happy about how all this played out and mm -hmm. i read caitlin's caitlin reviews the show for tv.com and she seemed kind of okay with it i guess i clara's never been her favorite so maybe she was just kind of okay with what happened but i have no opinion about any of it so, listeners, what Noel's talking about here is that uh, Clara dies in this episode. Um, and that will be a surprise to no one who's been watching, thinking about the themes they've been discussing all season. Because they have been foreshadowing this, like, crazy that she was going to die at some point this season, probably at the end. Because they, the other things they have been very heavily foreshadowing are choices about what the rules are. For the doctor, changing timelines, when it's okay, when it's not, and uh, life and death, and you know th these have been recurring, like like almost like they've been hitting us over the head with them. Uh, topics of discussion, like who I I could never lose you. I would be couldn't be you know I wouldn't be myself if you weren't there. Like that kind of discussion with the doctor and, and Clara. Um, so it was not surprising at all to me that they killed her. Also, because this is a part one of three to end the season, so I don't actually expect her to necessarily be dead the whole time. I would be shocked if Jenna Coleman wasn't in at least one more, if not two more episodes this season. She may end up dead, but um, I would be very surprised if we did not see more of her. Um, if we don't, I think they... You know, I actually kind of like the way they sent her out, if only because... Um, like, like, you know, Caitlin and some others, I am not hugely invested in Clara. I like the performance for the most part, but I think the show took too long figuring out the show. Moffat took too long figuring out the showrunner, figuring out who she was and was too obsessed with this idea of her as a puzzle as opposed to a person. So the first season. Shocking. She... Moffat feels that way about women. No, right? <laughs> yeah, like, who would have thunk? Um, so when I should have been getting really connected to and invested in her i was getting more frustrated with the writing for like a solid year of the show of her tenure on the show so even though she i think she's one of the longest running companions uh, in the modern series if not the longest running co modern companion um i'm i'm very okay with it because i have sort of like a clinical relationship with that character as opposed to a more uh personal one 
And uh, I think they also, it helps that she's doesn't really have any co- connections to anyone besides the doctor. I mean, her students will, I'm certain, miss her because she's shown to be an, actually a very good teacher. I like the way that when she's in her classroom, she makes sense to me in a way she doesn't any other time. Um, but she doesn't have really parents that we've seen very much of. Uh, she doesn't, you know, Danny was her only significant love interest and he's already dead. So it's not like there's a whole group of people that she's leaving behind other than, of course, the doctor. So I think that helps me not be as, you know, as destroyed by them killing her. Also, uh, I think they've really prepared us for it. And uh, I liked the way they did it, the inevitability of it. And sort of just the notion that it's it's at the end of an episode and just kind of comes out of nowhere. Where it's like you think they're just going to get out of it the way that they do so frequently on the show. And this time, there's not a way to get out of it. Um, that has a really appropriate feel of um just, there's a nice finality to it and they spend the entire show the doctor and the companion um especially clara being a very reckless companion which is something this episode underlines uh, they spend all their time cheating death and sometimes apparently this is a time when they couldn't there wasn't a different solution there's nothing else they can do and that i think you know we could talk about a certain other show walking dead not learning that lesson but um here having Having there be no no quick fix, uh, the doctor can't just fix everything. Uh, I think it's it's adds an important level of stakes to what's going on around uh, the doctor and with the doctor. But again, for me, it just comes back to I expect her to be back. So, well, I mean, this is just me being out of the loop about the show and everything. But I mean, is she, does she still exist within all the doctors' timelines still? No, that was resolved. She okay. was, like, fractured and then I think, like, reconstituted. Um, yeah, no, that's not a thing. That's not anymore. a thing anymore? Okay. No. See, that's, that's, how, question, that's how out of touch I am with the show is that I still thought that was a thing. So, okay, yeah, moving on, I guess. <laughs> I have nothing else to add. <laughs> uh, is this but, have Macy Williams back. You know, she's yeah. fun. Uh, most of this stuff works. Uh, you know, this kind of underground society they show is, is mostly pretty interesting. I like that they brought back Riggsy. Um, and do, I like, you know, go ahead. Do, do they have a new companion lined up for him already or? No, not yet. Uh, okay. and I would be very surprised if there was anyone before the end, like these last sure. episodes. Sure. Yeah. Um, but no, there's nobody who's like in line because of the things they've already said about the Maisie Williams right. character, not really working as a companion. So, um, and Maisie Williams is pretty busy too. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Riggsy maybe, but they, I mean he's got a family, so I can't imagine him going off with the tar- in the TARDIS when he's got a baby at home. The character, so uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what they do. But uh, yeah, solid, not one of the best uh, of the season, but but you know I think I mean I also think it's t- it was time for Clara to go. Sure. Um, so I think that that kind of helps me, but I don't know. I have to, I have to uh, go around. I was expecting to write a review of the previous week's episode and this week's episode together. I thought it, that was the two parter. Um, and then I got to, this was like, Oh, to be continued, I guess maybe I'm not. We'll see. So, um, so I, have to go, you... I haven't read reviews yet, so I have to go do yeah. that. What, what just out of curiosity and you can discuss this, I guess with someone else if you want to, but um, what would you want from a new companion now? I would like them to do something different. That's what well, I always want. Yes, um, but like, yeah. what kind of different? I mean, do you want a male companion now? I'd be like, all for a male companion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, why not? I mean, I think there's lots of things the show would benefit from, and and the main thing for me is finding the right match with Capaldi. I mean, when you have the right 
companion for the right doctor. Yes. That is when the show really, you know, yeah. it reaches its 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 potential. And so I think each different doctor has had a companion that that works better than the other ones basically. Yes. Like Yeah. You know, Amy just worked was better with 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 Eleven than yeah, Clara was. Yeah, I, I, I left when Amy left for a reason. And no, yeah. well, for multiple reasons, but mm-hmm. that was a big reason. Yeah, and for me, Donna and and Ten were yes, yeah, the best together. You know, like and so there are different. You know, you I mean Baker had a few. I mean, I think not Colin. Tom Baker had a few that are really great that had a really distinct rapport. But um, I think the the main thing is finding something new to exploit and figuring out what they want the relationship to be with them and what they want the um what they want this companion to bring out in and so if they could have a character that the doctor didn't feel like he had to protect without being antagonistic towards that would be something i would really like to see because that was one of the great things about rory is that the doctor wasn't spending all his time protecting her in a way that feels very paternalistic and is something the show has fallen into a lot with its male doctors and young female companions. Um, however, they responded to that by then just having the doctor be kind of bitchy towards him a lot. Cause it's funny. Um, yeah. so if they could find a different way to do the male companion, male doctor dynamic, that could be really interesting and really fun. Um, or I would also be down to have another like TARDIS team. I think that's a good way to do the show. So I don't yeah. know. Okay. Good question. But let's Thank move on you. to something we can both talk about, and that is Adventure Time Stakes. Uh, you know what? Screw it. I'm not even going to list them all. There are part one through, what, eight? Eight, a, yes. A bunch of them. Uh, how did you feel about about this miniseries? We've been, like, excited about this since at least Comic-Con, if not earlier. Right. I was whelmed to underwhelmed? Mm-hmm. Um, he says with a raised voice to indicate the question mark. Um... I was expecting, I think my expectations just got the better of me here. I was expecting something fairly significantly different than what we ended up with. And I was also a little unhappy with how it ended. Um, in part because I was just, I was excited about a change in the status quo, basically. And then they just went, mm, no, not so much. We're just actually going to reinstate the entire status quo that we had before the comet and Yurgalarg and everything. It's just all back. And I'm just like, oh, okay, sure. I liked a lot of the stuff you guys were doing. And now it's all back. Okay, that's fine. But yeah, I was just really kind of underwhelmed by it all. And I was... Again, I think the expectations, I was expecting a lot more in the past. I really liked those episodes when we saw Mausoline with humans before they became humans with their animal hats and everything. And we found out a reason why they had the animal hats. And it was just really fascinating little tidbits of the mythology that they were doling out. But then the character stuff in the present day just didn't click into place for me with Marceline's struggle with wanting to get rid of her vampiric self and then... Yeah, I just how did you feel about it? Because I'm I'm approaching talking in circles. Yeah, I was di- I I was disappointed by it. Uh, I'll, so I'll be a little stronger yeah. than 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 maybe than how you feel about it. Because first of all, like you say, we have been anticipating this for a long time. Because when we when they announced they were going to do this miniseries and it was going to show us Marceline's backstory, and I mean that's such fertile ground for them to explore. And even more than that, the notion of the show really experimenting with form yeah. is very exciting. I mean, 
I think one of the most stunning achievements, probably their single most stunning achievement, is still Lemon Hope, that two-parter. Yeah. And th- the way that they play with their form and and the longer running time of that of that two-parter really uh it was very exciting and so the notion of them saying like we have the story that's going to merit an eight-part like saga was really exciting and then you watch it it just feels like a Stephen bomb which, yes don't get us wrong we no Stephen bombs universe. are great Stephen bombs are the Stephen bombs are the bomb they most certainly are <laughs> however this was just a series of episodes with like i guess a through line and it has this kind of kill bill feel to it where they, yeah. they're going down the line and you know taking out yeah. one vamp at a time but um again like we did i didn't feel like we learned like anything interesting or new about her character anything we couldn't have anticipated already i really liked what one of the things i did really like actually was the way that they're just like no straight up text bonnie and and marcy absolutely right couple love old that. couple yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no i really and future I, couple when marcy future... is is a human again you know yeah, yeah. loved that no, that was yeah that was that was that was the highlight yeah but it just it, again like you said it just they take these eight episodes and they they can't commit to her really really wanting to get rid of her vampirism because they know they're just going to reinstate it so yeah. then her desire to be human which is such a huge difference and change can't they can't fully commit to it so they don't and so then we don't get a strong enough reason for why she's willing to go undergo this like really dangerous procedure and then they they tease at this idea that when she's sucking in their souls she's adopting some of more of them when they show like the laughing faces or whatever and they never really felt paid off in any way just that she got their powers but not any of their like personalities or anything like that she's still marceline and that's what i thought was like we'd get to see marcy as opposed to marceline basically mm-hmm. pre-vampire sucking and that didn't happen and i was just really confused about what that was apart from just the powers i mean i liked the idea of them being based on the tarot cards and of idea of the fortune type of thing but the, again that never really came to any sort of fruition for me and maybe i missed a thread at some point which is a possibility but I just didn't latch onto it in the way I was really expecting and hoping to. Or let's you know get more exploration of Marce- Marceline as human when she's like eating yes. the food and she's like, "Oh, food is amazing." Yes, that's the kind of stuff I would have loved to have seen more of. And if she wanted to decide by the end that yeah, there's some really nice stuff about this, but it also kind of sucks. So I you know I have her embrace being a vampire and uh, yeah. being the vampire. You know, and they they also tease at some really interesting um, philosophical stuff about, you know, cycles and history repeating. And then again, they just kind of, I don't know, it just, it's too bad because peak Adventure Time would, like, what Adventure Time is capable of um, with its really thoughtful, uh, intense storytelling and also just ridiculousness, it's so much better than this. Yeah. And it's just, it's too bad. Yeah, I think that's all I. I don't think I have. Any, do you have any other characters? Did you any? Did you have a favorite vampire? I kind of liked um, the Jake the House was kind of an awesome way to deal with that one vampire. Jake the House, what? No, here the uh, Hierophant, Hierophant yeah. was easily my favorite of the vampires, and in no small part because Paul Williams is just a terrific voice actor. Um, he's always terrific, and I always look forward to hearing him on stuff. Um, but no, and I just liked how that was handled 
Um, mm-hmm. But really, if anyone stood out in the episode that wasn't a vampire, it was Jake. And I just loved the through line of Jake being completely and totally horrified of vampires. It was just something that came back and was just a really consistent runner throughout the episodes. And a really funny runner throughout mm-hmm. the episodes as well. So that was really the highlight of that episode. Was Jake was kind of the highlight of that epi- those episodes for me, which... I was not expecting it to be, but there it is. Yeah, and yeah. I also liked that they don't like make fun of him or give him a hard time for being no. afraid of vampires because they're scary. So they are scary this time around. It's okay around. to be scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, also, um, the the ice king, the 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 mental uh, powers not working on the ice king, and and her not realizing it was another really delightful yes. way to do that. Very yeah. Nice. So and yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's move on, though, to our next episode. We have Supergirl Livewire. And for me, uh, after being a little underwhelmed by the previous episode, I actually thought this was a, quite a step in the right direction, mostly okay. for Callista Flockhart, because I yes. really liked what they gave her, and she nailed it. Yeah, um, I was. I wanted you to talk first about this, actually, <laughs> instead. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I've, I've been like kind of lukewarm on the show mm-hmm. really consistently, and a part of this is just my super family hangups i find a lot of the super superman super family villains really boring and livewire is actually one of those villains i actually really like she's really interesting she's exciting she's got some cool powers and apart from calista flarkart i didn't really love this episode that much um it didn't really click in for me in any way shape or form apart from calista flarkart and cat grant and mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm here for right now is Cat Grant being Cat Grant at this point. Yeah, I, I liked. Um, yeah, again, letting her be thoughtful, getting some backstory on her, but also just human humanizing her a bit more. Where she like yeah. her reaction when she has a human reaction to finding out that her assistants like had this really traumatizing childhood. That yeah. was a wonderful moment, and yeah. uh, to not have to not undo it at the end of the episode, like so many other shows would, just have it be like, "Oh, that was a moment of connection," but she's gonna undercut it and be like, "You don't mean anything to me, really." Uh, at the end, I thought, you know, so I liked that they committed to that and yeah. and opened the door to to a more interesting and uh, potentially difficult relationship. Uh, it's going to be harder for her to hide her identity from her boss if her boss actually is looking at her, uh, yes. which is something that she hasn't been until now. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd agree with that. That's a really good reading on that. Um, I think the other thing that was in the, the other thing that was really interesting about the episode, even if I found large chunks of the episode kind of scattered, mm-hmm. um, was the show's continuing dialogue about how it wants to define its feminism. I thought it was really interesting and this idea of critique through betterment and just or just tearing down in general for the sake of like ratings or what what have you. And I thought that was really interesting again trying to refine how this show is wanting to represent Supergirl within the show but also how it wants us to think about Supergirl through its discourse it was also just a really nice development of that particular aspect of the show which is something i've felt like the show is like still trying to sort out i think the show is still trying to sort out a lot of things honestly so that was that was a nice little bit but 
the rest of it, I just, like, the Thanksgiving dinner bit mm-hmm. didn't really click in for me. I was... What did you feel about the DEO flashbacks? The, the, those were in this episode, right? I just really don't care about the DEO. Thank you. God, it's so boring. And I'm not, like, the Hank stuff with the Henshaw. And I'm just like, no, guys, no, I just, I can't. I can't. I don't care. I do really like Kyler Lee, though. And I think yeah, she no. sells a lot of the stuff they give her, which is very yeah by the numbers kind of stuff but i yes. I, I like that they do they, i like that they allow her that character to to have some like frustrations and resentment about her relationship with yes. kara but not have anger to, to kara just yeah. have frustrations about like she doesn't blame kara for this but no. this is just a reality of their dynamic yeah. and so I, I, th- I thought that stuff also uh i was glad to see them spend a little bit more energy with with that character, but no, I do, I do not care about government conspiracies and, and any of that stuff. And it looks like they're kind of backing away from from that corner of the show a bit by giving him like red eyes or whatever that was like two weeks ago. Oh, uh, I can explain that for you if you want off oh, air. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, yeah. That's like a thing. That is a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. They're, okay, they're setting they're setting up a character, so that's yeah, the, yeah, that's, that's a thing. Okay, um, but by setting up like a a base at her work, and uh, yes. I mean having Jimmy. Where did he get all that technology, though? Come on. Yeah, wins all of a sudden like this genius <laughs> IT guy when he, that is not how he was introduced in the pilot no. at all. Um, but uh, yeah, there's they're still figuring themselves out, I think. But, yeah, and I think that's yeah a lot of it. And can we also just talk about Dean Kane entering middle age flab and that awful beard and just. What happened to Dean Kane? I think he looked fine. He looked. He looks. They're going for parent there, uh, and I think. I think that that does work. Um, so I, I was fine with it. But fair enough. <laughs> Clearly, your I, mileage may vary. I just remember Dean Kane as Superman and going. That guy looked pretty good, and now <laughs> it's not so much with looking pretty good. And also, I'm kind of remembering how not a great of an actor he is. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, I was fine I think, with it, but you know, I, yeah. again, I, I, I'm, I think I'm grading this on very much a curve. Sure. Uh, so that's probably helping some of my yeah. thoughts on it as well. Um, sure. Well, let, let's move on to our next episode, which is Arrow Brotherhood Talk. So we have the sister power hour with Supergirl, and then the brother so breakdown. Oh, that's a great. Yeah, there we go. There's our yeah. alliteration. Um, I. Yeah, tell me, tell me what you felt about this episode. Because in my yeah. review, I kind of ignored the narrative to focus on James Bamford's direction of the episode. So mm-hmm. tell me, tell me, tell me what you thought. Tell me what you thought. I uh, I like that Dig has a different reaction to his family than the other characters. I think that that is very important. Yes. Um, I like that he is a parent, and none of them are parents. And so he, like, the, the thing he can't let go of or move away from is his brother abandoned his child. Yes. And, and that is something that nobody else in that show can truly understand because they theoretically, but none of them had, well, uh, Oliver has unknowingly abandoned a child. Has (laughs) (laughs) Oliver does not, nobody else has a kid and nobody else, unless I'm mistaken, was I guess Felicity's dad wasn't really around, but it seems like or he's is never he really... now around? Well, yeah, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> but it's not like he was there and then disappeared yes. one day, so that like she doesn't so, seem like she has that kind of baggage, you know. Yeah. So um, 
so I like that that they do give Dig a very distinct point of view and they back it up. Um, I don't think it's necessarily reasonable because when you include mind control into it, what is he supposed to do? But we'll talk more about that when we get to Jessica Jones. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I thought it was solid. I liked that they. I like the actor they bring in for his his brother, whose yeah, name escapes what, me. Yeah, but one of the interns from Bones. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. The the yeah. serious one, the one who who takes his yes. work very seriously. Yes. Um, so I like him. Uh, I think that stuff mostly works. I continue to enjoy Parker Young. I continue like when he's around. I really enjoy Echo Callum. So they can you know they keep up their their comedy casting, Fox comedy casting over yeah. there. It's like first they're casting all the Spartacus people. Now they're <laughs> casting all the the beloved Fox sitcom people. Um, it's it, I'm totally down with all that. Um, and as for the rest of it, um. Yeah, I, I just was sort of relieved to not have all spin-off stuff. Yes, it was great, wasn't it? So that's where I'm at with this episode. What do yeah. you think about everything? Um, well, I really agree with you a lot about the Diggle stuff. I had a lot of pushback on the Diggle stuff mm-hmm. and how Diggle responded in the comments. A lot of folks didn't like it because of the mind control aspect, but it was also just like even prior to the mind control aspect, Andy Diggle was apparently not a great guy mm-hmm. based on that file that he got. Provided that everything in that file was true, I mean, Andy Diggle's not a great guy. So, type of thing. So, I think a lot of where Diggle's coming from, like you said, with his family and being a father. But also, you have to remember that Diggle dated his ex-sister-in-law and kind of helped raise her kid. And just all that sort of stuff that we've completely forgotten about now that we've moved out of season one. And it's just one of those things where I feel like this is a really earned type of thing. And unlike with Laurel and bringing Sarah back and Laurel wanting Diggle to be happy about this, Diggle didn't ask for this. He had closed that chapter of his life. He had, Well, he hadn't closed it completely because he was wanting to get Hive and go after Deadshot previously, but he had found some sense of closure about it with Deadshot's death, basically. Even mm-hmm. if he was investigating Hive and trying to figure out what was going on, there was this sense of, Andy's dead, he's dead, and I can I can move on with my life. And I've accepted this. And now he's not dead, and I'm finding out all these new things about him. Being upset and angry about it is a perfectly rational and reasonable response to things. And Diggle is nothing if not reasonable and rational compared to all the other crazy white people in his life. <laughs> and so that's where I was coming from with it. Um, the other stuff I really liked in the episode was Oliver's mayoral campaign really starting to kick off. Um, I'm not entirely sure why he thinks gentrifying an entire neighborhood is a good way to save the city, but sure, let's see how that plays out for him. But this gets back to one of the things that I've been wanting from the show since its start and that it always likes to dance around. And I think we talked about this a little bit last time I was on, but maybe not because we focused on lore a lot, but this idea of Star City as something to save and as a place to save and I want them to really kind of dig into that a lot. I don't need the show to be the wire, but I need Star City to be a place, basically. And mm. I need that kind of give and take between what they can do to save the city without their costume vigilante activities to come into play and how this works for them. So I was really happy when everyone called Oliver on his nonsense of wanting to infiltrate Hive 
from within. It's just like, no, that didn't work out well last time. Why did you think this was going to work out the same this time? Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I really like James Bamford's director, direction of this episode a lot. What did you think about the visuals? Because this was a very different type of visual episode. The closest we had was earlier this season when Lexi Alexander came on to direct an episode a few weeks ago. What did you think about the direction of this episode? Because I wrote like five paragraphs about the direction. <laughs> Frankly, it didn't stand out to me. Uh, and I what? think it's because... Yeah, I, I was tired watching it okay. at the end of a very long day, so that okay. probably doesn't yeah. help. But um, but no, I, 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 I'm much more struck by some other shows we're going to talk about visually than I than I usually am by Arrow and so honestly maybe it's just that I'm not giving it enough consideration and mm-hmm. that's something that I should do more because I remember we talked about that with Alexi Alexander and I also it didn't stand out to me and it, maybe it should have uh the direction of that episode as well but um no I, I thought I mean I think I think I, I'm so character based in how I approach television. Sure. Um, certain shows like with Doctor Who I'm, I'm much more aware of it. I actively am thinking about that every time I watch Doctor Who. But mm-hmm. a lot of the time if it's not a show that I immediately consider on that level, production sure. level um, whereas like it's just not like a certain quality not, that's not what I mean by level but if, if it's not a show that I mentally have categorized as a show with which I think about direction um Maybe I'm just not giving it enough thought. Sure. Um, but no, I honestly, combination of factors, I don't really have anything to say about the direction. Oh. So I would love to know what you think about the direction. No, um, it, the episode was directed by their fight and, fight and stunt coordinator, James Bamford. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, he ended up deploying, he did a lot of long takes and that sort of thing. So there were significantly fewer cuts than Arrow has within its fight scenes, especially. Because um, Arrow's fight sequences, really up until this season, because they've been transitioning out of it, have been like chop suey chaotic editing to hide a lot of the stunt work and fight choreography, which is fine when you don't really have time to do it, but it also gets really exhausting and just becomes nonsense to me after a little while. So there were a lot of long takes. There were a lot of... You, we got to see the stunt work and the fight choreography, basically, in this. So... The fight in the shipping containers was basically just two or three takes, basically. Mm-hmm. And the camera just moved. People moved out of the frame, into the frame. This, the camera actually ended up staying really stationary for a lot of that, which I thought was a really interesting choice. It would just move, like, on a, on a pivot, but it wouldn't actually, like, move through it. People moved around it, which I thought was really interesting and really just fascinating to watch. And it made that sequence when Oliver and Diggle actually managed to escape, it actually managed to feel like they were escaping something really, really dangerous to me, as opposed to how Arrow typically does that, where they just, oh, we got a moment to get away because the scene's ending type of thing, (laughs) which is how I feel like they typically edit their fights. And then there was that really nice fight with Thea fighting Andy Mm -hmm. through a hallway, onto an elevator, off onto an elevator, into another room. And that was all basically just like two takes. Mm-hmm. with very few cuts and it was just a really nice change of pace for arrow just from an editing standpoint and i was really impressed with them doing it it demonstrated that some of the actors katie cassidy aren't really on point with the stunt sometimes so everything kind of looked slower a little bit but a lot of that is also just why they do that typical editing style which obscures that 
they don't necessarily have the time to do re strong rehearsals and a lot of stunt work choreography in advance because they're shooting on like eight hour eight eight days for an episode or like mm -hmm. 10 days so you don't get a lot of time for rehearsals so you have to hide it somehow and the editing makes it more exciting but it also obscures it as well so it's a really it's a give and take sort of situation i've never been a big fan of that kind of chaotic chop suey editing um but so this kind of approach to the show really worked for me a lot so I was really excited about that. I'm not expecting the show to do this every week, but I'd like for them to do it more. They've been doing it a little bit more, this sort mm -hmm. of not relying on the chopped up editing technique. So I'm hoping that that comes into play a lot more in the back half of the season once we're done with the spinoff nonsense. Well, for a show as physical as Arrow often is, yeah. and it that's, you know, that's one of the things that I really actually very much appreciate about Stephen Amell, the physicality he brings to the character and, yeah. and to the, you know, to the stunt works. And even just when he's in the, the, the green arrow get up and everything, the way that he stands, the way that he moves is a big part of that character. Yeah. So when they're able to draw more on that and, and yeah. on the actors who do have that fluency, yeah. um, I think it can really help the show, the tone of the show, as opposed to something like Flash, where it's more about speed and banter and... And, like, and the special the, effects. I mean, it's yeah. very much a post-production show. You do a lot of it after the fact. And it looks yeah. really good. I like, I love the spectacle of The Flash. It looks great. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, the more that they can feel confident to trust their actors with that and trust yeah. their directors, like, you know, pick directors who will do that, who will make those choices. Yeah. I do think that would be good for the show. And I look forward to, if I have mm -hmm. time, rewatching some of those fight sequences this week yeah. and certainly keeping more of an eye to that in the future. And speaking of, of, of good advice great from, well, I was going to go with good advice from you, yeah. Noel. Uh, let's talk about our next show, which is Limitless Headquarters, uh, which is I love delightful. That you make, I love that you make the exclamation point heard. Well, it's, it's important. In the title. It it's is odd. exactly. Uh, this is. A sh I have to specifically thank you for getting me to watch uh, Limitless because when you came on to guest host last time, you mentioned Limitless actually is doing a really good job, guys. You should check it out. So I did, and I caught up, and I. It's the, my favorite new show of this fall. I would say probably after Crazy Ex Girlfriend. But sure. Crazy Ex Girlfriend has higher highs and lower lows. Yes. Limitless is more reliable. And yeah. their, their visual language, like you had said previously, t previous time you came on, has been fantastic. But also the character building and the world building. I loved this episode. was so much fun. Yes. I mean, this was a really good example of a show engaging in seriality, but using character-based serial elements to make a really fun standalone episode that has nothing to do with anything else. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to do with NZT. doesn't have to do with Bradley Cooper's character. It's just, let's mix this up and go after the FBI's top 10. And let's just do it. And it's just like, this is really, really great. It, it, and it draws on each of the different characters. It like, yes. draws on Mike, and it draws on Ike, and it tells us more about each of them, which, yes. you know, in, in the way that they respond to their their tasks. It also, I mean, what they've done this season with Limitless is they've taken their incredibly boring, bland, uh, cop not a cop, as they say over, I want to say that's um, TV Talk Machine, uh, whereas I tend to go to cop very, and very special civilian. Uh, they've taken their very, very bland civilian and made him absolutely a defined character with a personality. And it's not like he's a different person when he's on NZT. When he's off NZT, he's still Brian. They've made Brian Finch feel like a distinct person. Yes. Uh, and not a series of, of, tra uh, of traits and not a series of quirks. 
And yes. that is incredibly, uh, I think, central to why the show is working for me as well as it is. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And I think that's that's really where the big payoff was for this episode for me, was the fact that it was it just kind of let its ensemble and its guest ensemble, recurring guest ensemble just let's let's go let's run let's see what everyone can do when we give them little bits of business mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily connected back to brian or brian's not in the scene with them directly and it was just it was a really fun i think it was significantly more fun for me than their ferris bueller riff mm -hmm. where i was just like oh good a ferris bueller riff i haven't seen this before it's still entertaining but uh been here type of thing but this it was just like okay we're gonna do the top 10 we're gonna do this long kind of never-ending sequel list from 22 jump street type of thing which was just really funny and just demonstrated how much chemistry this cast has and how greatly they've cast that side of the show with the fbi and everything else and it's just really really good and just the whole idea that this show would have a montage of Mary Elizabeth Mastriano saying no. <laughs> Terrific. I mean, you don't expect this kind of thing from a CBS show is the other thing. I mean, it's serious without being self-serious, which I think I saw someone tweet. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was someone else. It may have been Miles. I think it was Miles. And so it was just one of those things where this is... It's a good, thoughtful, fun show that also can do this kind of stuff really well without even having to do a lot of action as well, which I find really interesting. Because I think the episode before this didn't have where he's negotiating with the pirates. I don't think that there's a fight scene in that episode, and it was still pretty good. So, and I think that's the other thing that we run into here is that there's not, again, too much action, and the action that we do see is actually just in Brian's head which I really love as well. So no, I'm really glad that you've really clicked into Limitless because I do think it's actually, I'd agree with your, I'd reverse the ranking of Crazy X and Limitless, but that's just because I like the consistent build that Limitless is engaged in. Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned the, you know, the fights in his head. I mean, yes. they're so much more fun than what it actually is. And so right. rather than yeah. try to like overhype and build up and, and basically falsify what they actually do for a living they just right. have brian imagine it because that's more fun anyways yes so why not and, and, and you could tell the actors are having so much fun with yeah. especially those fantasy sequences but the last thing i'll mention about this is what this episode i mean we also get really good stuff with the you know ron rifkin the dad which is yes. nice um, and that's gonna certainly pay oh god later. i was just like oh no no don't, yeah don't tell him <laughs> But what this episode also does is it gets us really invested in the team. So yes. when Brian's betrayal of them comes out, which will happen, yes. that's gonna happen, this is doing the the really necessary legwork to make that betrayal important yes. and significant to the entire team and not just to like the the two you know female leads of the show that most we see you know get the yeah. most dialogue with Brian. Yeah. Absolutely. And they do it. And it's so subtle because you get swept up in how just kind of fun and silly this is. Mm -hmm. And then, like you point out, it just goes, oh, this is going to suck. This is going to yeah. suck so hard because he's he's bonded them. Mm -hmm. It's going to suck. And yeah. it's going to be great. 
And so I'm enjoying the ones that we get before that happens all the more. Um, let's, it's going to suck, but it's great. going to be great. Let's, let's use that to jump over to elementary tag your me. And I feel like that's, uh, really where we're headed with the, the father character. There's, so, I like that the show is really, uh, establishing all this backstory for Sherlock and his father and keeping all of it unsaid. Uh, like clearly there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, and I think the writers know what it is, and I think the actors probably know some of what it is. But we don't need to know yet as the audience, so we don't. No. Uh, so so I, I'm i not loving this season so far. I'm enjoying it. But yeah. um, but I think that they're setting up a lot of potential with uh, the date that they hopefully will be able to pay off and pay off soon with, uh, I forget, Moreland maybe? Moreland, it's, yes. Yeah, Moreland uh, Holmes. How, how are you feeling about this episode and about the season so far? Um, I'm pretty excited. I'm, I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that the previous season was just so really strong for me after coming off, um, season two, especially season three, just like sorted itself out really, really nicely after season two. I mean, we got the very brief Kitty arc, which was great. And then we just kind of delved into Sherlock unconsciously or unconsciously consciously dismantling his support system so that the finale ended up making sense once you went through it again so this season him rebuilding it but Moreland coming back to pose an antagonistic thing because I think that's what I'm wanting from this show with Moreland more than anything is that Moreland not be a villain with a secret agenda or some sort of secret shadiness going on. Because that's what ended up scuttling Mycroft. Is that he just had this weird secret government agent type thing going on. That if you read the Holmes canon you'd expect. But from the show's perspective just kind of didn't work at all. And so what I want from Moreland is just for him to be this guy who's a jerk. But doesn't want to be a jerk anymore. And I just want to see that dynamic play out between the two of them. I don't care if he's got, like, some sort of weird... He can have all the weird shady business dealings that he kind of ropes Sherlock into every now and then to help him out. But I don't want him to have some secret agenda beyond wanting to be perhaps a better father. And I think that there's something more interesting about that for me than him being secretive. Well, and just because he wants to be a better father doesn't mean he's... Able he's going to, do to be it. right he, you know and so having that be your struggle as opposed to aha this whole time i was really playing is much much it's, more interesting it's much more interesting and i think it gets to this idea of where the show is now which is the fact that sherlock's personal struggles and joan's personal struggles within their dynamic mean a lot more than some sort of external external threat basically and it doesn't even need to be Moreland as an interior threat to them as again having some sort of aha all along type of thing it just needs to be he wants to do right and he can and maybe Sherlock just won't let him do right and that idea of growth and recovery and making amends that's so central to the program and how that functions and what he can do and what both of them can do. Because I I legitimately think that Moreland is proud of what Sherlock has done in New York. And I legitimately think that Moreland wants what's best for him 
by making sure he's back on the NYPD as a consultant and everything because he recognizes that this is the support system that he needs because otherwise he's going to be going to meetings all day and when Sherlock goes to meetings all day all that results in is that drip drip of his existence that drives him up the wall so he needs something else to focus on and the NYPD provides that and I think that's what Moreland understands and that's what Joan understands but Joan's in a different place now to talk about it so i'm i'm i think i'm a little more optimistic about the season than you are but i totally understand where you're coming from because they're still setting up a whole lot and i and yeah so yeah i still think what do you think about john noble like what john noble's oh. doing is Moreland? it's great right perfect casting yeah no he I is in his sleep i mean i look forward to like he's doing he's not sleepwalking through the roll or anything like no that. no but they do they've done a really good job with the casting and not only just because like the the two have a very strong chemistry the, yes. you know uh john john miller and uh john noble but um when when sherlock is talking about like the insidious reach of his father you believe it you believe yeah. that denethor can do that you know <laughs> uh so uh because there's the gravitas but there's also this the like the almost scary steeliness of the yeah. eyes that John Noble can so, like he can so wonderfully pull off. I mean, he didn't really get much chance to do that on fringe when he was being goofy all the time. Also, he's very good at that. But, um, I think, I think he works very well in that role in that capacity on the show and, uh, and makes what Sherlock is saying f- feel legitimate and, and really work and not feel like yes. petulance from Sherlock. Yes. Which it could. Yeah. And that's really important for that to feel like that. And then the other thing I'd say with that is, I'm, again, it's another thing where I feel like I'm waiting for him to get his big episode. Like, I would love to sure. see an episode from his perspective. I don't know if that that'll ever happen. Well, but that he, would be great. he's a series regular, which I was really surprised about. This That they got Noble for the entire season, basically. Yeah. So, I'm. it's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't know that they would do that. But I think that'd be a really interesting experiment for them to do. And maybe, fingers crossed that we get it. I mean, maybe that can be the episode that Lucy Liu directs this season, since she, she's been she's directed one episode a season since season two now. And they've all been really solid episodes. So, really good-looking yeah. episodes, too. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts on Elementary? No, just that you should watch it if you're not. And also, it's better than Sherlock. Just going to say it. <laughs> yeah, and get no. angry people in your comment section that I'm not going to read. Fair enough. Well, how about Manhattan? This week we have 33. How have you been feeling about this season? Um, I'm really loving this season. Um, I was kind of about the whole time skip aspect of it that they did the previous week. But now I'm I'm totally fine with it. I'm good. Um, and I'm excited about where they're building up to. I really liked 33 from just the perspective of a historical idea. Um, just from the fact that a lot of the Los Alamos scientists and Manhattan Project scientists were actively concerned about how this gadget was going to be used, basically. And after it got used, um, they were, a lot of them became, like, peace advocates, realizing what they had done, basically, just were just, like, wanting to make amends for what the monster that they had created, the dragon that they had essentially tickled and woken up to borrow the metaphor that they use in this episode. And I'm liking that the show's building up to that aspect of the fallout base, the other type of fallout to what the bond that they're building. 
And so, yeah, no, I was really excited about that kind of the efficacy of doing this and the ethics of it. So, yeah, no, I, was, I really liked how that aspect came out. And I liked how the episode kind of ended with them ready to take this big stand. And then, whoops, FDR is dead. <laughs> yep. Well, doesn't really happens. matter. Yeah, yep. this type of thing. How did you feel about the episode? I watched the last two back to back, so I may be bleeding in last week's with this sure. week's. But one of the things I really liked is Frank is so um, determined to get back to the hill to let them all know that, you know, they've been lied to and that the, yes. the Germans are behind. And then Charlie goes, and? Yeah. We're trying yeah. to end the war. So, like, they shouldn't have lied to us, but th- how does that actually change anything that we're trying? There's, like, you know, the Nazis are still killing, slaughtering all these people. Um, so I don't understand how that actually changes anything, uh, which I, I love that they gave such a um, respectful counter to, yes. to Frank. Yeah. I think that was really important. Um, I also have, have liked what we've gotten um, with, I, I thought the time jump was, was good uh, as much as I, as I would have, I guess, you know, they, I'm sure they would have found something to do with the characters when they were kind of in stasis in these, these you know these roles for um you know frank being like knocked back and and these other characters not being allowed to leave and everything but um but i liked i like that we jumped forward and in the other part of this episode that i really enjoyed this that they they got um richard schiff back Uh, yes i was so glad they got him back me too i was really happy i mean even as a figment type Mm -hmm. of thing i mean but he's I had missed his presence on the show, and I don't think I realized how much I'd missed it until he showed up. And I just went, oh, right. I was missing this. Thank you for giving it back to me. <laughs> and just to give that, that dialogue with Frank, um, you know, give get a different way to, to explore where he's at. I like when the show, um, and, and it did it, this week it, it did it back in episode, was it two or three, when we got this, the bottle up episode, basically with Frank and Justin Kirk, uh, episode two. I like when they explore this, that psychology a little bit more and, and are more playful or more experimental instead of with, like, with the audience of what is actually happening. How much can you trust? Uh, I, I like when they feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've been really happy with the season. I was kind of lukewarm. Like I mentioned, um, when I was, when we talked about the premiere, um, about season one, like I kind of faded in and out with, uh, season one, but I'm, Firmly, firmly all in on this season. <laughs> glad to glad to hear it. And I, I mean, I would like to get a little bit more with uh, Mimi Gomer's character. And uh, yes, and, and she's some of that so stuff. great. Yeah, she's really, really good. But she's always really good. So I'm still just TV universe. I'm still waiting for that Gummer reboot of Charmed that that we discussed previously on the, on the podcast. I need that to happen with the three Gummer sisters as the three Charm Halliwell sisters make that happen in the universe anyways um so i would like more with her but i like what we've been getting with rachel brosnahan and of course olivia williams and and all that has been it's been uh working well so uh yeah i'm on board too good go I'm happy. Way, to go, way to go manhattan well all of this consensus let's let's turn up turn the apple cart a bit here with fargo <sighs> rhinoceros because i really like this season um and i like this episode but i don't love it as much as a lot of people seem to okay but uh you love it way less than i do so why don't you start how do you feel about fargo um i i'm trying i'm I'm gonna use the phrasing that i used when i was talking about the show with Corey last week which is i just find the show to be really self-important sometimes 
which I find really off-putting, um, especially this season. It wasn't as bad last season, but I think that this season has been very much about wanting to make sure that we get the fact that America is in a transitional state from this from the Vietnam War, from this, from the late 70s, from the Carter administration, to this idea of this kind of false, our sense of false retrospect hope of what Reagan represented with the start of the 1980s. And just this idea of America shifting and this idea of what people, what soldiers from Vietnam brought back with them type of thing. And the show for me is just like really hitting me over the head with this in a lot of ways. Um, when Peggy describes living in her house as like a museum, it's kind of how I actually feel like when I'm watching Fargo this season. Is that this is a really well tailored museum about this one very specific idea that they're just going to keep driving home with. And it's not the most interesting idea to me. But it's still, it's really well put together, it's really well shot, it's generally really well acted, though I'm really only responding to a couple of performances this year, um, which is about what I responded to last year. I should say that I didn't really like last year either. Um, I was trying to give this year another shot. Um, but yeah, and I think the other big problem that I have with it is that the show is, is more so about the critical reception of the show, which is a terrible thing to respond to and blame the show for. But I just find that this idea of the show is being... The show, for me, is like, wears its literariness on its on its sleeve too much and wants to make sure that you get it. So, like, the previous episode, previous episode with the Butcher Shop showdown... So, yeah, the previous episode with the Butcher Shop showdown where we have the girl talking about existentialism and the idea of the cosmic joke... And all this stuff is basically, for me, the equivalent of a scoring broadcast ABC show score swelling to let you know that something's going to happen. But because it's dressed up in existentialism and because it's literary, it, we're supposed to feel smarter about it, I guess. But it's just like, no, life is a cosmic joke. So, of course, the butcher shop burns down when Peggy sells the car to get the money to buy the shop. And it all goes to pot. And it's just like... Well, yeah, you guys set this up. It's called foreshadowing, and you were really heavy-handed about it. I'm supposed to be impressed by that? And I'm not impressed by it. I mean, it's, it's again, it's really, it's well-made in the regards of what it wants to tell us, but I don't care about anything that it wants to tell us. Well, and I think that's where I run into trouble with this season, which is... yeah. There's a lot of performances that I really, uh, really enjoy or really admire. I think that a lot of people are doing very good work here. And there are some, uh, some like, the, the, the design of the show. The, I love the score and the soundtrack, absolutely. Yeah. And there are so, some really, um, you know, like, just visually and, and, and orally. And, like, it's a well-constructed and put-together show. Yeah. I'm not, I have no qualms. I don't yeah. deny that at all. But I care about maybe two of the characters. It, yeah, it, no, there's missing, nothing to care about in this show. It's really, really missing that Alison Tolman heart of the show. There's nothing yes. anywhere near approaching that for me this season. So what I end no. up connecting to are moments, um, yeah. like Offerman's hilarious uh, lawyer ramble uh, throughout this episode. Yeah, loved it. But and I really also enjoy Mike Milligan. He feels very distinct. But yes, like Floyd, I don't care about Floyd even a little. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I feel like Mike Milligan just kind of wandered in from another show mm-hmm. sometimes. And I'm just like, this is a really great performance. And this is like the one great performance in this show for me right now. But I don't know why it's here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why he's, he's here and why this character is here, basically. And I, I guess it's to juxtapose the more the more rural Gerhardt's, I guess, is this mm. idea that they're doing with it. But I'm just like, I don't understand. He feels like he's a part of a different show that he wandered in from, basically. And I'm just like, and I'm liking what Jeffrey Donovan's doing. But at the same time, it's also just like, I've seen you kind of do this on Burn Notice before. Mm-hmm. A couple of times on Burn Notice, I'm pretty sure. Just without the paunch. Mm. And... I'm, yeah, no, my big thing is, like, what got me through Fargo in the first season was Allison Tolman, basically. Colin Hanks to a lesser extent, but Allison Tolman got me through that first season of Fargo. No one is really getting me through this season of Fargo, apart from maybe Bruce Campbell's really great Reagan. So good. So it's good. It's so great, because he's in on the joke about how bad the 80s are actually going to be, mm. I think. And I think that that's the other reason, is that the show is reflects it's got that same kind of coen brothers self-reflex self-awareness they know that the 80s are going to be bad and we know that and they know that we know that the 80s are going to be bad so they're not trying to hide it but all the other characters are just completely oblivious and it feels like a again another type of cosmic joke that they're looking forward to this new decade heralded by reagan that's actually not going to be that great yeah i think this season it just feels like it's trying to be too ensemble and yeah okay and in because i don't care about any of the gerhards any of yeah. them i don't care about the kansas city people really other than milgan uh and brad garrett was super fun but he's gone now and um and then i don't i mean i i'm interested in ed if ed was the main character i and he was more aware maybe Maybe I would sure. feel more invested in him. I like I like the time we spent with Ed and Peggy, but I don't. I I have a hard time connecting with or caring about them individually. I'm more yeah. like you say, like a museum, sitting back and observing them. And yes, um, and I really like Ted Danson and what he's doing and the, the stuff he's doing really good work. Yeah, yeah, and I really and and even um, uh, Patrick Wilson too. That part of the show, but again, they don't because we keep cutting to these different parts like disconnected parts of the show and and they try to have the with the wilson character they he pieces a lot of this together pretty quickly but it feels it doesn't have the energy and the forward momentum of the underdog story that we got from season one of nobody listening to us elton tolman and her actively trying to put this all together so it doesn't have that and it also while the wilson character has started putting these things together he still doesn't feel like the point of view character and so I and it that it just ends up feeling a little fractured to me. And so while I really yeah. like some of the d- discussions and I really like some of the, I mean it's again like I said it's very well put together. This this sits on my DVR and I watch so many other shows before I I, I watch Fargo, seeing as we record when it airs. Um, yeah. So I always like when I watch it, I enjoy it, but it's not. I mean, right now it's nowhere near top ten. Not probably not even top twenty of the year for me. I I don't know how even far away from my list it would be. <laughs> and I do think it, there's a bit of, and I felt this way about season one too, when it, at the end of the year, all of a sudden uh, it was like, a, 
in everybody's list and at the top of everybody's list. Because um, I did not have that connection. I remember you mentioning this, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I was like, guys, I thought we all kind of agreed that it's like it's good, but it's not like that good. It was, it was very surprising yeah. to me. And I feel kind of the same way about this season where it's like at someone, someone decreed that it is the great show that we all like someone decreed, decreed that it takes on the mantle of the next great show when that should clearly go to the Americans. So, uh, yeah. or Steven universe. I yeah. mean, let's really be honest here. <laughs> and so, so I, I think, um, I think there are more problems with Fargo than I see people discussing. And maybe sure. that's what it is. Maybe it's because there does so many other things so well. I feel like those elements get overrepresented and the, the, the issues that I have with, with the show, which again, I feel like I keep caveating myself. I do still really like the show. Um, I feel like those are under discussed. So that's sort of where I'm at with Fargo. And like I said, I mean, that's where I feel bad about critiquing the show, but it's just like, look at us with our hot takes, Kate. Mm. And look at us fighting the man (laughs) with Fargo following in Nick Offerman's character's footsteps, not letting those jackboot critics get to us type of thing. And it's just like, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a well put together show, but it's just, it's a really hollow, well put together show, which I think is also just representative of something that you find within, since they, even though they've moved away from the Coen brothers directly, the Coen Brothers films can still have that kind of same postmodern distance. Look at what we're doing thing that takes us away from emotionally investing in things. And I think that this season in particular is hitting that kind of postmodern distance really hard. And I think that's part of the reason why we're, at least for the two of us anyway, we're not really responding to the show. It's certainly why I'm not responding to the show, because it's basically just like the show's going, see what we did there? Yeah. Aren't you smart? Yeah, you get it. Yeah. Type of thing. And I'm just like, no, show. I don't need to be complimented about how smart I am. I know I am, and I can go watch Hannibal, which treats me with a lot more respect, quite frankly. Fair enough. Well, uh, I like it much more than you do, I think. But still, I, I absolutely see where you're coming from. Uh, well, it's yeah. not going to be Fargo. So what wins your week in genre and drama? Um, in genre, um, no, I'm just going to go with Limitless for both because it's got a science fiction element. So yeah, I'm just, I'm going to cheat and oh, go with, uh, it's one, it's one segment. It's one category. Oh yeah. Great. So yeah, I'm going to go with Limitless for this week. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean the, the, the Leftovers Award, because of when we're recording, I still haven't gotten to see The Leftovers yet, and it's basically killing me right now. That's not hyperbole at all. I heard it was really good this week, or at least just really, really weird. Yeah, which is always a thing that I like about The Leftovers, when they go weird. So I'm sure I'll love it, but I haven't seen it yet, so I can't legitimately do that. So instead, I will I will also give it to Limitless, actually, this week. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> It pains my heart to give it to Limitless and not Adventure Time Stakes. Adventure Time Stakes, you let me down so much. Um, Anyways, with that out of the way, we will now uh, take a break and come back with our Season Spotlight on Jessica Jones Season 1. We'll be right back. Jessica Jones. I saw you. What do you want to know? Can you punch through a wall? Stop moving, Carl. As 
slow-moving car. The way I see it, being a hero just puts a target on your back. Yeah, been there, done that. What if there was someone else out there? But his ability was to make people do whatever he wanted. You like mind control? You have no idea what I've done. What he made me do. Jess, he isn't here now. Well, he's always here. Yes, you'd like to invite me in. Absolutely. Kilgrave leaves a trail of broken people behind him. He made me jump for hours as high as I could. He said I was never as good as you. He's back. He's coming for me. Let's start now. No! Jessica, I'm the only one who matches you. But we're inevitable. Oh my God. God didn't do this. The devil did. This week, rather than the DVD shelf, we are bringing back the season spotlight. Joining me once again from TV.com is Noel Kirkpatrick. And we're going to talk about Jessica Jones season one. Noel, what made you want to talk about Jessica Jones? Uh, because I, A, really wanted to watch it, and B, didn't have the time to watch anything else for the DVD shelf. So this was <laughs> perfect. And hey, it worked out because you didn't have time to watch anything else for the DVD shelf either. Well, also, it just feels appropriate with, like, the way that people are watching the show, I, I, it feels, and maybe it's just because it's the Marvel thing, but I, I feel like this is one of the ones that people have really clicked. Mainlined really mainlined, quickly. Mainlined, like really yeah. quickly. There was a lot of buzz going into the weekend. Uh, There's a lot of really high critic praise going yeah. into the release of the season. And my feed, I mean, again, maybe it's just my bubble, but my feed has been filled with people um, Yeah, mainlining. mine has too. Yeah. I mean... I went to a murder mystery party and one of my coworkers was just like, I watched six episodes of this show yesterday. Tell me about it. Cause I wasn't, she hadn't really watched daredevil mm-hmm. and she likes the Marvel movies. Okay. But she was just like, this was really good. Where did this come from? Yeah. So yeah. Well, how so, is no, it? I, I think a lot of folks and I think Amazon is just like, God damn it. <laughs> Why did we premiere man with man in the high castle this week? No one's talking about our show, really. <laughs> well, listeners, never you fear. I will be talking about it next week on the podcast. But well, how did you how did you feel about Jessica Jones? Did it live up to I, the hype? It did. I know that we're going to maybe differ a little bit on this, um, which I'm excited about because I like when we I like when we have difference of differences of opinions about stuff. Um, but no, I was very very happy with it. I had problems with it. I think it has some rough edges. I think it suffers from a lot of like the Netflix syndrome in which the first season is basically a 13 hour pilot. Um, but on the whole, the core of the show about Jessica and her battle against Kilgrave um, was just really, really compelling and really, really interesting. And I thought that by and large up and down, the cast was just superb. Um, Mike Coulter's Luke Cage was everything I was hoping for when they announced that he got cast. And I'm just glad that Mike Coulter has steady work now. 
because that man deserved a show for a while just based on the good wife work that he did. But now that he's got this, and I'm just really, really happy that he has this. And yeah, no, I was I was very, very, very happy with the show. So before we like dive into like nitty gritty type stuff and picking it apart, what did you overall gestalt feel about Jessica Jones? I ended up over. Uh, I ended up underwhelmed by it. Okay, I think it's overhyped, and sure. I think it's got. I I feel like it's on a par with Daredevil. I don't feel like it's significantly better. I think it's different. It's exploring different themes and issues. Um, but where I run into trouble with this season, and I would agree, by the way, absolutely 100% cosign on Coulter. Uh, we knew he'd be awesome in the role as soon as they announced it because of, you know, yeah. his work on Good Wife. But I'm very glad he has this platform. Um, and Christopher has been great. We, we will talk so much about David Tennant uh, and really yes, this, we will. this cast. <laughs> but um, where I run into trouble with it is that. I feel like it sets up, not I feel like, it sets up a premise of this is basically a P.I. show. And then it abandons that and becomes a superhero show. And then at the end of the season, it goes back in hard to the P.I. thing again with or the, the noir touches. And having already uh, really loved a show that was very much uh, at its core exploring P.I. tropes and noir tropes in Angel... Um, I have a, 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 a comparison point that um, I just think it does that stuff better. I think it's more committed to that because I, I think the, the beginning of the season starts out really strong with that. And I really liked that element of the show. And then we get away from the office. We get away from these other things as we focus more and more on Kilgrave. And I think the pacing of the season and some of the other uh issues with it, it has too many episodes. I think there's too many episodes in the season and sure. that, that really hurt the overall experience for me, if they had condensed it down to like between eight and 10 episodes, I think I would be much more positive on the season. But that being said, there's a lot of stuff that I really like. There's a lot of things that I uh, love that it is exploring and prioritizing. So we'll dive into all of that. But my main takeaway is, yeah, it's good. It's very good. Um, nowhere near again, I, because I'm at the time of the year, I'm very much in, like list mode so nowhere near top 20 for me and i i think i'm also just when i talk about overhyped i think i'm just responding to i maybe i just like daredevil more than other people did but it feels very much of a piece with that um for me and i kind of go back and forth about which one i liked better um despite have this having i should like this better sure but i don't because of some of the structural elements so so that's my overall hot take no i no i think i i think you're correct in the idea that the show especially in the early going the show kind of lacks forward momentum that a stronger emphasis on the pi aspect would have given them and so a for want of a better term a case of the week approach to things would have helped them a lot and I don't disagree with that actually at all. Um, well, but I think a lot. I'd also like to see her be good at her job because I think she is, and I love when they let her be good at her job. But we don't get to see too much of that, right? And I think that was actually going to be the f- point I make is the fact that I imagine that she is actually good at her job, but she gets destabilized by Kilgrave's reemergence here, 
And that's why things just kind of slowly start to spiral away from it. And I think they don't do a terrific job showing that transition because we don't get to live with her as a really good PI before she starts to spiral. And I think that's where the misstep may be coming from. But I also think this gets back to the idea of the idea of this being very much in a very weird way, an origins, a very long origin story for her, where when he picks up the phone and says alias investigations for her, it's just like now she's, she can do this again, basically type of thing. And I think that gets to this idea of she's survived again, this trauma. She's achieved some degree of closure. You don't really achieve closure based on this but you can achieve something resembling closure. Mm -hmm. And she's able to continue with her life again, basically. And I think that's where the show was wanting us to go with it. And for the most part, I was able to track that. But I do, I totally understand and see where you're coming from with this kind of mishy-mashy, we needed to see her do this more type of thing because she is good at her job. But we just need to see her be good at her job for a lot longer than we actually see her be good at her job. Let's, um, before we get into spoilers, because we're going to go for full spoilers, listeners. Let's just, any other things for people who haven't seen all of it yet that, that you want to get into? Was there something you wanted specifically to get into that was spoiler free? <laughs> Not really, but I feel bad about diving in so quickly to full spoilers. Okay, how about let's yeah. talk in a general way about some of these performances. Okay. I think Kristen sure. Ritter uh, is fantastic. Yes. Uh, I think she handles the, the... I think she balances the character really well. Um, yeah. And has fantastic chemistry with Coulter uh, as Luke Cage. That works really well. I also like Rachel Taylor as Trish. That character doesn't yeah. always work for me. Um no. You that can... no, she's part of she's part of some problems that they have towards the later half of the season. But because uh, that's a character apparently out of the forties in the comics, and you can just feel you can just feel how dated the 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 setup for that character is. Um, but I, I like her performance. I like some of the stuff they do with Simpson and David Tennant. I think is fantastic here as the villain. And to keep things spoiler free, one of the things that I love love about his performance is how much of the doctor he puts into his performance. Cause there is so much of it. Did, did you key into that at all? No, um, I really didn't. Um, I was really focused on Kilgrave as this sociopathic, spoiled, charismatic nut job who basically sees people as playthings. And I was just zeroed in on that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he even calls Jessica a thing at some point before he corrects himself, which I think is really big. And but I didn't really key into this idea of him as the doctor or like riffing on the doctor. I didn't key into that at all. And maybe that was just because of the show being different or just I didn't key into it. See, I, I did so, so much because the character is so charismatic and affable. Um, so much of his time and insidiously so um, that really works so well but also because there's this seeing himself as separate and other than and more powerful than and he knows all of the stuff that no one else can know and understands the world in a different context the way that they balance that and um, have him standing apart but you know being but being very warm towards humanity because of course he can just control everyone and have them do whatever he wants. And so therefore he's all very sunny and happy when he's getting his way. 
yeah. the so for me i was just seeing that that conflict or or, or that that uh you know kind of playing on that element of this extraordinarily powerful being who doesn't even see the world in the way that anybody else does and so needs a companion by his side <laughs> to to show to give him a different perspective or wants wants a friend basically um, and they, who he's going to take off on a well, whirlwind adventure? It's like an evil, terrible version of that. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't want a friend, though. He doesn't want a companion. He wants Jessica, and that's that's really kind of the key difference. Is that he's fixated on Jessica, which may be, be why he wasn't looking for Jessica for her sense of wonder or adventure or just this idea of challenging. It was just Jessica because mm-hmm. he was the same as her in that they had powers yeah. and that they were separated from the world. Yeah. So it's cause he can't, he doesn't. Okay. Screw it. Listeners are going full spoilers. So if yeah, we, go, let's do it. So let's, if you want to, to remain spoiler free, we're both saying watch Jessica Jones. Yes. Me more so than Kate, but yes. But yes, <laughs> we both enjoyed the show. Uh, even if I have some issues with it, I would say don't, you don't need to mainline it, but you know, but yes, watch it. Come back next week. Okay. So here's the thing for me with with the, the whole Doctor and Tennant and Kilgrave and Jessica thing. It's what it... Like, he sees himself as the Doctor. And and she, he's going to take her off on this this world because he just knows better. And, uh, and, and this is just going to be... They're going to have a great time. And she'll be his friend. And she'll just do whatever he says. And that, that's how they will both be happy. Because that's how he understands the world. But uh, he is a horrible, evil monster. And doesn't yes, understand is. that. And doesn't care that that's not what she wants. And so imagine someone with that capability and that power who sees himself as the the wonderful savior good guy because that's how he wants to view himself uh and that just and, and certain line deliveries i key into like when tenet is going uh well you know like, like some of these these vocalizations that you know come up a lot with his doctor i don't know if that how much of that is an intentional reference point um but i mean for me it was very chilling um, and, and I got that much more in the earliest episodes with him where he's featured prominently, certainly, but, you know, like by the time she's, um, he's pretending to, um, like try to make a go of it and he's not, they're playing it. house episodes. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Up through and up to, and through that point, um, I was really, and when he's like, see, I can be a good guy, that kind of a thing. And you know, like that and the spoiled baby of it all. Like mm-hmm. I just, I really, really thought that was incredibly effective. And then where it falls down for me is that he just gets captured and escapes one or two, too many times. Um, and that, so that's, that's, that was one of the pacing issues that I ran into with the, with that character and with the season as a whole. Do you have any, any thoughts on, on any of that before I dive into a new area? <laughs> Um, no, I, I mean, I'm totally with you in that it's a really excellent performance, uh, in an ensemble of really excellent performances, even in people who are stuck in really shitty roles, like poor Carrie Ann Moss. Um, but yeah, no, I like, I really like your breakdown and your connection to it. I agree with how you're approaching him as like a dark doctor, um, which is interesting, and I mean, I think that's 
as much genre association playing mm-hmm. off and just yeah. him being that role mm-hmm. coming into play. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I can totally see where you're coming from now that you've mapped it out. It just didn't really click you, into my brain. Your brain doesn't it. immediately go to a Doctor Who plays the way that, that mine does. And, and maybe no, it's not fair it not. to tend it either to, to the good work that he's doing here because he's much more than just a guy who plays right. the Doctor. Um, well, let's, how about... How yeah, about, no, he was the guy in... Broadchurch, come on. <laughs> uh, well, he he was the guy in um, what's the singing one? Blackpool. There we go. How about let's, yeah. let's give him credit for Blackpool. And he was also the guy in Hamlet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, let's. Which was very doctory anyway. How were how did you feel about the pacing of that? Did that was that as much an issue for you as it was for me? Like by the time Robin, freaking useless Robin, is is untaping his mouth, I was just like, no, no. Well. Let's not... Okay, let's just talk about her building. Mm-hmm. And the problems that those characters just kind of created. For me, mm-hmm. Robin in particular, but Robin, yeah. Reuben, and I'm totally blanking on Malcolm. Mm-hmm. As just like, I get the impulse to make her world feel populated. Mm-hmm. None of those characters worked for me at all like i mean malcolm gets over his drug addiction really quickly like the next episode he is done and clean it's just like guys that is not how a month-long addiction to drugs works six months yeah i don't care if you're under mind control from a guy with virus pheromones that's not how this works at all um but yeah it was just I really feel like they wrote, they mapped out things and just went, we need this to be a little funnier. Mm-hmm. So kooky neighbors that are vaguely incestuous brother and sister, top-notch comedy stylings. <laughs> and it's just like, no, it's just a really weird thing. And then the whole hide Ruben's body thing just didn't really click in for me. And, yeah, I was just like, I'm not really buying her building as a populated area. And I get that this is supposed to be kind of, I guess, the show's sense of Hell's Kitchen, which I never really feels lived in in the way it felt lived in in Daredevil before me. But Daredevil was very explicitly about Hell's Kitchen, and Jessica Jones is not really about Hell's Kitchen, even though it takes place in Hell's Kitchen. Um... So I think that's where that kind of, that was like my biggest issue with it, apart from a lot of characters just kind of dropping in and out. Like Simpson just kind of disappears for a little while and then comes back Mm -hmm. as part of a super soldier program, which feeds into that character's comic book iteration, but comes out of fucking nowhere here. (laughs) And then we get the shoehorned in IGH stuff at the end, and I just went, oh God, stop setting up season two for the love of God. Please stop setting it up. Focus on this. Do some better character stuff here. And carry on Moss and Hogarth. Just, I I just, I can't talk about it. (laughs) Because she was great. Carry on Moss does a lot with very, very little. But that character just decides to let a supervillain go. I like how long it takes for that to happen. Because they foreshadow the crap out of it. Yes. So I like that, you know, if they had not had that happen uh then i would have really enjoyed 
the fact that they tease that and it's you think they're they're gonna do but then she's not an idiot so she doesn't yeah but um, then she's an idiot and she doesn't it's just like were you not paying attention yeah but i think it gets into a lot of the basically the core especially the first half of the show which is just jessica trying to convince people that Kilgrave is real and that what he did to her actually happened mm-hmm. which gets into that whole the rape story aspect of having to prove that I was raped mm-hmm. type of thing. And that's where that this everything is like wanting to connect back into that. Yeah. And it does just some things fit better into that hole than others do. And I mean, like I saw a lot of folks complain about like her sheer rationality of wanting to go to Supermax mm-hmm. in episode seven. But it's just like, it's not about going to Supermax. It's about getting Kilgrave to go to Supermax so he can be recorded doing his thing so that she can prove that he's real. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's about. And that's why it's just really compelling. And that's why Hogarth's action here just kind of say she still doesn't believe Jessica mm-hmm. that any of this is real, despite the fact, look at what's happening <laughs> type of thing. So, yeah. So, no, tell me more about your thoughts about the show. Well, th- Going back to the 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 building, I really actually uh, I liked uh, Malcolm quite a bit. I thought mm-hmm. the reveal of oh it's him, look what he he was like six months ago. Uh, we've just it's this is another victim that we just overlooked and just chalked it up to drug use and didn't pay attention. Um, I thought that t- tied in really well with that narrative, like you say, like by far the most successful part of this show and the most intriguing and really makes powerful me powerful yeah. part is that is that connection to that rape narrative of I don't have any evidence. The only way I can get evidence is if I let this guy do this to somebody else and I manage to catch him. That's the yeah. only way. It's the only way. Uh, which is horrible. And I, let him, and I let him do it to someone else and I thought I had stopped him. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, th- like that, it works. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful and by far the most successful part of the show is when they're able to play into that narrative. Um, I absolutely agree about the the disjointed parts of the show where characters disappear and then return. The biggest thing for me with that was Luke Cage, where it was just so obvious, like, well, we're getting <clears throat> it's about time for the finale. We better have him show back up, um, which didn't And work- mind-controlled yeah. off-screen. I just went, oh, that's I mean, it's not off screen, off screen, but it's off screen just enough. Yeah, well, and it it happens so that we can have the Luke Cage Jessica Jones fight that they want. Which have. we, which we kind of, I I kind of wanted, but 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 again, it just it feels like paint by numbers Marvel. Uh, yeah, world building, just like the end of Daredevil season one was frustrating in the same way, where it's like, and now we need to have the shot of him and the thing because this is the. And there was a lot of that for me in the the last couple episodes. Like when we have the ending shot pulling back, and we have the noir kind of uh, jazzy score come back and the muted trumpet and everything. I'm, I'm assuming it was a muted trumpet. That's what it feels like it should be. Um, it felt like okay, we're, this is a panel in the comic that we're gonna that we're gonna go back to, and like I get that, I get that impulse, but I'm sorry. At the end, she should be like jumping around and freaking happy i do not buy for a second what they're trying to to sell here which is like she's like all still all all 
upset that she had to kill this guy that she lost because she she killed this she killed him and this is terrible and what's a villain what's a good guy and everything's like you know what's a villain a villain is this horrible murderer rapist that's a villain there should be i don't i maybe it's just me but as far as i'm concerned there should be no moral quandary here of it if it was bad that she killed this guy and that's i for me at least the finale really plays into that and that last shot of like the dark gritty noir ending Am I a bad person for wanting there to be more triumph in the fact that this guy's finally dead? Um, I think that the show wants you to feel bad that you feel feel good that he's actually dead. Because they, they there's that line about... I can't remember what it is, but like... So she says that she wants him off the planet, and the only people that feel that way are villains and murderers, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's more of a... I think it's more of an ethical thing of is this an acceptable thing to do basically and I think that's just more of an interpretive question and whether or not it works for Jessica I think is a questionable I think I'm willing to agree with you because I wasn't like thrilled with the fact that she snapped his neck Mm -hmm. Um, because it reeked of very man of steel to me um (laughs) but at the same time it was just like it was also like i rationalized it in the sense that this is taking place in a universe where there's no way to contain him basically Mm -hmm. and he's never gonna stop and he's never gonna stop i mean he was ready to keep going with patsy because he couldn't have jessica Mm mm-hmm and or just to torture jessica he was going to take patsy with him Mm -hmm. and so my way of rationalizing it is the just the fact that there's no way to contain him like who do you give him to do -hmm. you give him to shield how do how does jessica jones get in contact with shield well and they spent the whole season with her containing him and it not working like that happened like three times where where he manages to get out and, I mean, the only time, like, it, like he gets out in the sense that he was actually captured and he doesn't get out because she messed up. Mm-hmm. She gets out because she, Hogarth just... Hogarth screws a, up and so, and yeah. Robin undoes his dyes and, like, yeah, yeah I mean, like, that, I, I yeah, for me, I, that, that notion of if they wanted, if they wanted that to be morally gray, they needed to do something other than just confirm time and again he was never going to stop. Yeah. Uh, he was she was unable to contain him and he was killing people for fun killing and torturing yeah. and raping people for fun so i mean yeah. I, there to me there's no moral gray there and for me noir works best in that murky moral gray area sure like i don't know anybody who in this world who could legitimately in like this marvel like universe who could legitimately say that she what she did was wrong and that there was another alternative um, I would sure love to Captain, see them give an answer. I'm sure Captain America would be like, that was wrong, but that's Captain America. <laughs> well, he would be full of shit, because what else is he going to do? Let let the, the, the woman get taken away and get raped for the rest of her life? I mean, what's... I think I, I think Cap would just be like, well, we should lock him up in a super prison. Maybe we should start a shield super prison. <laughs> and just, like, there are shield super prisons, and... Yeah. 
that's where he would end up, except for the fact that this show doesn't actually have S.H.I.E.L.D. super prisons anymore, mm -hmm. because they all got destroyed when Hydra took over S.H.I.E.L.D., except S.H.I.E.L.D. was actually Hydra. Okay. Oh my god, yes. why am I talking about yes. this? <laughs> okay, so that, that's, again, that is what ties into some yeah. of the my issues with the end of the season, but okay. um, earlier on, there's a lot that there's a lot that I do really, really like, and um, a big part of that is the relationship with Patsy and, sorry, Trish and, and Jessica. Patsy's okay. <laughs> well, she doesn't like Patsy. She likes Trish. So I'll go with that. Um, the, the, I think one of my favorite, you know, definitely one of my favorite moments in the series is when they, they have the uh, morning after <laughs> breakfast with, with uh, Trish and, and uh, Jessica and with Simpson. And he starts mm -hmm. to give his opinion, and they say, uh, okay, we had lots of fun sex, but you, that doesn't give you a right to an opinion here, so back out. That's really my favorite thing about the show, is that the male characters are either just steadily sidelined, aren't granted the typical male superhero agency, or they're just really fucking horrible. Or they turn out to be really fucking horrible when they're on super soldier drugs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just really... it's It was really nice, even when hogarth was screwing things up it was just like these are women screwing up their lives or having their lives screwed up by patriarchy by themselves i mean it's just really messy and really refreshing to see that play out and have scenes like them saying no no the girls are talking right now you just be quiet just be quiet <laughs> like, you don't it's know okay. this situation and your yeah. maleness does not give you a correct uh, like the the exactly. ability to, to have an opinion on it if you are not involved in this so don't think that the fact that we had sex means that you get to tell me what to do or no. what to think just go back and wait in the bedroom for me to finish breakfast and then we can talk we can do this you can do whatever yeah. that, that's lovely and all but i don't know you and you don't know me and yeah you know that's check your privilege basically which yeah. is is lovely mm -hmm. and the way that they handle that 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 character um of having him have to struggle with uh like bringing him into the fold through through that I, I, actually i was fine with the way that they revealed his like super soldier thing i thought it mostly worked um and, and having him get lost to that it for me it came out kind of suddenly and b even though they like set up his special forces military background and everything but then for it to have like to feed back into jessica mm -hmm. was just went oh fair enough no. fair enough yeah but yeah. yeah but i also get that they need to establish jessica's origin some how she got her powers basically mm -hmm. because they didn't do that and how she gets her powers in the comics doesn't really work here so. I don't care at all how she got her powers. No, and I don't either. And that's why I don't care about this IGH nonsense and mm -hmm. why they pay for her medical bills. It's just like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> I like I like the fact that Jessica and Luke basically just go, eh, freak accident. Yeah, bad experiment. What are you going to do? <laughs> and I, I just love that. <laughs> I, I really like when you talk about the male characters, too. I love that they make Luke this wonderfully... Uh, developed character who is still like and again it's a similar thing as when how, how trish reacts to simpson butting in where he's yeah. like yeah we're having a good time and we seem to really connect but you're not my wife and that is by far the most important relationship in my life um i, I really like the way that they handled that and and the the that it's totally fine for him to not be over her yet and to still be processing yeah. and dealing with this really intense stuff uh, so i really like that i thought that worked well and um 
just even just the style and the personality of especially those those early episodes uh, the, the the mundanity of of Kilgrave craves evil just something like not letting people blink yeah that's really like the best thing about him is that he doesn't have any plans to take over the city or anything once he gets his like power upgrade he just yeah. wants to be able to control jessica yeah that's all he wants he's a stalker basically <laughs> yeah and and he like he says he doesn't take specific glee or joy in what he's doing he likes controlling things but he's not like i'm gonna make you he just doesn't care what he makes people do he just says stuff he doesn't think about it, doesn't really care what it means to them um but he's not like actively seeking pleasure in this um yeah in, in the way that other less interesting villains i guess would be defined sure. by that kind of sadism and i like for me at least bouncing off of daredevil it's just like he's not the show try the sh he tries to present himself as sympathetic but the show just doesn't allow him to have any of that which i really appreciate it unlike with wilson fisk and how the show just very much wants you to see him and frankly successfully makes you feel sympathetic about Fisk mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, even though he is like this really messed up dude, but you get a reason for why he's a messed up dude. And that helps a lot more than, Oh, he was experimented on and this sort of thing. And you're just like, yeah, but really messed up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Kilgrave is. Yeah. So, when he's just like, well, did you ever think about the fact that I have to think about really carefully about what I have to say all the time? And it's just, again, it gets back into this whole critique of masculinity for me through Kilgrave and rape culture and this sort of thing. It's just like, yeah, no, I have to be on my guard whenever I talk to women all the time, man. What if I offend their feminine sensibilities with my totally harmless sexist jokes <laughs> and that sort of thing? Yeah. And it's just like... It really feeds into that again, and I think the reason I keep returning to it is that, like we've said, it's the most successful part, and it's the strongest critique that the show is able to explore, and explores really well through its main characters to mobilize the story about a woman, as opposed to the other way around. Mm -hmm. which is the, the other really refreshing thing about this show even just like the, the touches i mean it's very intentional like the finale is called smile um yeah i can't yes, exactly. i don't know a single i literally do not know a woman in my life to whom i have just the topic has come up who hasn't at some point or another been told they should smile yeah because people feel like they can just it's like oh well that'll make them feel better to tell them that how they're feeling is not legitimate and they should just plaster a smile on their face so to to have that very intentional very relatable every everyday occurrence for women be such an, a significant emotional through line um it just works so well there's this is a show that knows its female characters and uh the, that's a credit to the writing as well as to the performances and the, and the fact that it, when it comes when it keeps going back to that that's when it is most effective and the, the notion of of Jessica's PTSD not just being I mean in the comics it, it, they mention it here they kind of get around it a bit but if you know the comics which I haven't read them but I've done the Wikipedia thing um, the, the, you should read them they're really good that's what everyone says um, the, yeah. the, the, the show gets like it implies this but basically the thing like maybe even the worst thing is that nobody noticed that she that this has happened had happened to her she like disappeared yeah. and was taken um captive by this person 
and nobody could tell the difference. Nobody knew. And so having that be the trauma she's still, still dealing with, having Trish mention that, having to then he's he's alive, he's back, he's fixated on me again. People didn't believe me the last time. They don't believe me now when there's evidence and there's you know other statements. What can I possibly do? Having just so much of it be wrapped up in that is really, again, what I, I think works so well. Do you have any final thoughts on Jessica Jones? What are you, are you, are you, are you more excited about a season two? Yes. And I'm waiting for Netflix to give it a season two. <laughs> um, um, I will say that um, I really want a season two. Um, I, I like, I'm with you in that. I really do want to see a little more case of the week type of stuff or like mini arcs basically which is how the comics work is that she works a case for like four issues, moves on to the next case type of thing. And I think there's a lot of really good stuff that they can mine from that format, not necessarily those stories because those stories are so entangled in the comic book universe that they took place in that, I mean, she dates Scott Lang. She's not going to date Paul Rudd Mm -hmm. in this show because Paul Rudd's really busy (laughs) and he's not going to do the Netflix TV series. Um, But the other thing that I'm, it also just has me really pumped for the Luke Cage television series. And I'm very excited about that. I was already excited about it when Coulter was cast, but I'm like super pumped after seeing how deftly the show established him. And I'm really excited about that. What do you want from like season two? Do you want, like, more noir stuff? Like, I I definitely want more noir stuff. I want more of that trumpet and that saxophone playing in the background because that's just makes me happy. Yeah. But what what else do you want from, what would you, do you, I'm assuming you want a season two. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Season two. More noir would, I I love film noir. So, yeah, I'd be all for that. And, I mean, I would love for it to to have that stronger because, you know, that, this character works so well in that world and um, one of the great things about the best of the Marvel movies in the cinematic universe as well as the TV universe is when they pick you know the, the best their best films pick a genre and go with it and just it's a superhero version of that genre um, and, and and so I would love to see just this is the superhero noir show and that's like sure. fully commit to that I think that would be really great um, I would like to see either a 10 a contracted episode order or enough stuff to actually fill the time. Sure. Um, and to feel like it just feels so perfunctory when they have the night nurse show up. Uh, uh, well, I don't know if she Claire when they have Claire show up. Um, it's like, oh, she's here because of that other show. And we're going to make sure that it, it's just like it's all the stuff I've been complaining about with Arrow this season feeling like spinoff yeah. fodder. So I would like not that or done better that. It's so weird that you say that because I, I really liked her showing up. But at the same time, while I was watching the finale, I just went, did she get? more screen time in this one episode than she did in the entirety of daredevil and i kind of think she did no she had I'm that one ent- episode that she was in all the time that's true that's but true. other that's than that true. episode yeah probably <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah no i i i like that she showed up um but i think it gets back to my own critique about this idea of the show it's a way to connect it about being in hell's kitchen mm-hmm. even though it's not about Hell's Kitchen at all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. No, I can I can see why that is a critique. But I'll take any excuse to see Ro- Rosario Darson do 
work basically yeah, she's great love her and she is great yeah, yeah. um and uh the other thing that i'd like i mean they're gonna have a hard time topping Kilgrave as a villain yeah the villain is gonna be the big question mark for me yeah but i mean again just more wonderful character stuff with these people and continuing to stay true to the the good work they've done establishing these characters and not just uh, i mean like it'd be nice if we can have Malcolm have to continue to still be a drug addict uh, who didn't want to start t- doing heroin or, or uh, whatever particular drugs of choice. Kilgrave decided to, to have him want to take, um, but still is, de- you know, must ha- still has to deal with that for the rest of his life now. Um, yeah. That physical dependence and um, having uh, having that be a, a, an, an acknowledged and continued part of the show. One of the things I love that I haven't mentioned is that she's not like fixed at the end. She still has yeah. her bottle. She still has a lot of stuff to work out. Um, I may not feel like guilt over killing Kilgrave should be anywhere on a list of guilt, you know, things that she has to, to deal with. But, um, but I like that they don't try to fix her. They don't, there's no interest in this show in fixing it's, it's female characters in, and and it's more just in letting them, be live healthy and happier versions of themselves, but not trying yeah. to like not 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 saying that just because they're struggling with things doesn't mean they are broken as an individual. Like Malcolm under the thumb of Kilgrave, that's a broken man. But as soon as you know, despite all the things he's struggling with, despite everything else that he has going on in his life, when he is able to be himself and and hold on to that identity of himself and his you know his his mind and his will that is a person who uh, maybe needs to hopefully will get better, but it still is not a broken thing in yeah. need of fixing. So that's what I'd like from season two. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you, Noel, so much for coming on to the podcast to talk about all this great TV. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, I am on Twitter at Noel RK and uh, you can find reviews at uh, TV.com from me. And you can reach out to me at the Televerse, uh, the Televerse is gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at the Televerse. You can find this podcast up at popoptic.com where you can leave a comment to, to keep the conversation going. You can also find us in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And uh, you can also find us on Facebook and leave a comment there. So please do reach out. Let us know what you thought of Jessica Jones and, and the rest of the TV from this week. But with that, uh, we will sign off. And thank you once again, Noel, for coming back on. Thanks for having me. And thank everyone for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.